The following is brought to you in association with and from a proud partner of the Shining Wizards Network. Entertainment here. Tonight's episode of Radioactive Metal is dedicated to the memory of trouble vocalist Eric Wagner and Night of the Living Dead actress Marilyn Eastman. This is Radioactive Metal, your source for news, views, tunes, and interviews. Here are your hosts, Snowy, Rock, Corrine, and Aaron. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a Trouble Baby episode of Radioactive Metal. This is episode 669, and I'm Snowy White. And I'm Aaron. And dear listeners, every week I remind you about the fantastic folks at trvekvltcoffee.com. And I believe I have said several times you need to be on the email list because... True Call Coffee does these special um, releases. Uh, what was Master? was like one of the special collaborations. I feel like there's another collaboration mm-hmm. I'm forgetting. But, you know, you're on the email list. You get those first. Well, here's another reason to be on the email list. It's no secret on this show that we are kind of fans of Halloween and horror movies, right? <laughs> so if you were a member of the True Cult Coffee, T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T-Coffee.com email mailing list, like Snowy and I are, you would know that they have special Halloween mugs. You can get them right now on sale, all three, for $39. And they have Slasher Freddy, Friday Jason... And Halloween Mayhem, right? So these are the classic Halloween characters, but with band logos, right? And so, like, Slasher Freddy is the Slayer logo. Um, mm-hmm. Is is Halloween, is that the Mayhem logo? I think so. All right, and whose logo is the Friday the 13th? Because I'm not, rec- I, like, I recognize the font, but I couldn't pull the band name out off the top of my head. I don't have it up with me here. Uh, see, I'm look, I'm staring at them right now. Like these are fantastic mugs. The art is great. Um, tra, ca, tra, blah, fuck, Coffee Bean Oculta actually prints this stuff himself, right? Like he he knows how to do these things. He is a Renaissance man. Like you know, when when you buy from True Cult Coffee, you're not 
putting money in the pockets of some executive buying their third yacht. You are literally helping a family make a living and feed their kids, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's how cool this is. That's what we do here on this show. You're not going to hear us talk about car commercials like fucking Metallica because I've been listening to that podcast and they're still talking about that. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about shit that's cool. And, you know, like like I've said before, like the Manscaped stuff, if they approached us, I would totally do that one because I would shave my balls on the air. You know, like like that's one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, I'm OK with that, you know, because because I'd use it, you know, and I and I'd tell you all I was using it. <clears throat> but I go back to True Call Coffee, T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T coffee dot com. Support this fantastic coffee brand, because not only is it great coffee. They do all kinds of killer, kick-ass things like these Halloween mugs. They've just... Do you remember the Valentine's Day lo- mugs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you remember those? Uh. I just think, because I was going to say, like, they have a great sense of humor. And so for anyone who didn't see these a couple years ago for Valentine's Day, um, and the best part is you could get his and hers, hers and hers, and his and his mugs. And one was a vagina, the other was a penis. Right. And before anybody (laughs) is appalled, like not only is it a vagina and a penis, they actually had a local artist in their area draw this up. So not only were you supporting like True Call Coffee, a local coffee business, a metal coffee business, a local artist. And for anyone who knows any artists that are good at their craft, they get paid shit for doing what they do most of the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he's supporting an artist. So this was just great on so many levels because it was fucking hysterical, too. Like, you know, you have to have a sense of humor. Um, well, period. Just mm-hmm. yeah, We can just end it there. You have to have a sense of humor. <laughs> like, like, that's that's mandatory. But anyway, True Cult Coffee, T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T coffee.com. Go out there, subscribe. You're going to get great music every month. You'll get these emails and you will know about these great mugs because they're not putting those out there. This is just for the email list. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I love. It's secret. Like, we're <laughs> part of the club. It's the club, the secret club. I that's know. right. I know. It's awesome. So, right. man, what's happening this week, buddy? Uh, actually, so far, it, it has been one hell of a weekend. I, as I'll get to in my metal fix, uh, I took in my first live show in like 18 fucking months. Dude. It seems like, oh, oh, and it's just, it was definitely a night I'll always remember. And as well, yeah, okay, we've, I've got a ton of other things going on as soon as i step out from as soon as we're done here i step out to record our sister pro program wrestling night in canada so i've definitely got a busy day today but yesterday saturday as we speak snowy manor my little brood we uh made our way uh out to um the 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 halloween costume um store spirit for the first time finally yeah yeah the seasons <laughs> it is it is the the and that's that's the for us okay because we go weekly all the way up until the store is well not not only up to halloween but also afterwards as well when they're trying to get rid of all the all the uh all all, all the merchandise oh, yeah. At twenty five percent off, fifty percent off, just they 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 just got to burn through it and all that. So well past Halloween, we still make weekly trips 
to spirit. It's just it's just a hell of a lot of fun. Well, yeah, because, you yeah. know, for some of us, it's Halloween all year round, whether society lets us live that or not. <laughs> That's right. You know? And I have a feeling that when I finally make it up to Canada, that I feel like the landscape around you is probably going to be very conducive, I think, of like a Halloween landscape. Like where, where I grew up, it looked like if you think about how things like Ichabod Crane were drawn and even then like the newer, the newer movie made with Johnny Depp, Sleepy Hollow, like the live action, mm-hmm. um, that's essentially where, like what, where I grew up, like my road, like it looked like that kind of stuff, the way it was sit back in the woods and that sort of thing. And as we tear down more forests to make more housing plans where people can live two feet from each other, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes not even that far, you've got just like a thin paper wall between you. Um, you know, we're losing that landscape and I really miss that. Like mm-hmm. I, I, if I could find that here or not even here, but like somewhere where I could still live near the ocean or ideally, like if I moved further North where the alligators can't get to us and I could live on a lake and have that kind of like spooky looking landscape around me in the fall, like that, that would be my ideal place to live, I think. Right on. But I need right some on. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> and then in the evening time, a nice, a nice setting like that gives it a very Halloweeny feeling as well. Which I'm glad you mentioned landscapes and all of that because, as everyone will have heard, you know, at the beginning of the show with our dedications, which we normally reserve strictly for metal artists that have passed away we uh dedicated this episode to actress marilyn eastwood eastman she of night of the living dead fame and some people might be saying well that's weird why did you guys do that well we kind of felt that we had to do it when we wanted to because yeah it's um actually it's got a connection to this show because where they filmed Night of the Living Dead was in your old stomping grounds. That's where I grew was up. It not? Like if yeah. anyone who's seen the original black and white Night of the Living Dead, the opening scene where the car is winding down that windy road, I mm-hmm. drove that every day, like literally every day of my life, um, until we moved down here. I was always wow. on the road. And and when I went back to you know to visit my parents, um at the end of 2019, I drove that road again every day because that was the road to get out to civilization. Like, <laughs> if you wanted to go to where everything else was happening, that's the road you had to take. And I drove it every day, man. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was too bad. But, you know, Mrs. Eastman was 80, I believe. Oh, yeah. So she definitely lived a long and interesting life. Like, All of it, sorry? Well, I was just going to say, I'm like, not only do we have like the connection to the show and that sort of thing, but think about the impact of that movie on pop culture going forward. Oh yeah. And what music we may not have had without that particular film. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Like the death metal sub sub genre, really. Yeah. Right. I mean, like think about the, that, that. I mean, zombies had happened before, but that really popularized zombies. Mm-hmm. And so think about bands like cannibal corpse. Mm-hmm. You know, because oh, definitely, you know, that that's with, without a zombie, you know, there is no cannibal corpse, you know. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, just like not even like all the death metal. Like I was even thinking just the the horror influence. I mean, we got tinges of that in Metallica, right? We got tinges mm-hmm. of that in Anthrax. Like like those movies had such a huge impact. And I mean, think about what that movie did, what it started, the follow-ups it did, and how those follow-ups impacted you. You know, oh for and, sure, and your metal kid and all that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, like, like that's it's one of those things where to to everybody who you know who who's in the area up here is just like yeah you know it was a thing it was cool we had a movie being made here and it's a cultural phenomenon you know and and like it's cool to know that like I grew up near something that's had that kind of impact you know for sure yeah yeah now as much as you say you want to make your way up here I want to meet you down you know in Pennsylvania and I because I want to see these locations i want to be in that cemetery unfortunately the farmhouse has been torn down over the years but i want to drive on that road and i want to go to the monroeville mall that dawn of the dead was shot in and all that that's just it's just stuff like that so well, we can make yeah happen, yeah man like like my, <laughs> my my mom and dad are still up for hosting people so we could all crash there Excellent. And then I I know people that could get us some pretty personalized tours that are really really nerdy about this stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, so yeah, Excellent. we can totally make that happen. And if we're face to face, we're doing the um, the alcohol episode that I want to do. Oh, of course. Yeah, because we're gonna get totally fucked up. <laughs> God, oh, God only knows what what kind of shit that you and when when you and I actually get together face to face. Like I I feel sorry for a fifty mile radius of us. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. The the area that we would be doing this in, they'd be like, oh, the Griffith kid's back. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's the thing about when you live in certain communities, no matter how old you get, the the older generation still think of you as a youngin. Yeah. When I oh, went yeah. to the small the 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 small community to take my father to his final final resting place. I ran into some people who knew him and all that. And they're calling me son. You know, I'm 50 years old. But, you know, I'm I'm yeah, Terrence's yeah. son still. You know, I'm, you know, they just kind of still see me as a kid. And I really can't blame them because, you know what? A lot of times I see me still as a kid, as a teenager, as a, as, as, as a young man and all that. So... Can't really argue. You know, and it's, it's tough. Cause, I mean, think about like now as a 50 year old, if I run into teachers that I had when I was, you know, 16, 17, I will still, still call them Mr. or Mrs. Whatever they were. Oh, definitely. Yes. You know? uh-huh. like, and they'll be like, oh, Aaron, come on. Just, you know, you can call me whatever. And I'm like, no, no, really, I can't. No, <laughs> like, that's weird. <laughs> I, I spent every day for the last four years, you know, for four years of my life calling you Mr. So-and-so. Like, I'm sorry. You know, it's going to take a really long time to, un- you know, unlearn that habit. Yeah. And some of those teachers that, okay, you may not have gotten along very well with in high school and all that. If I saw them today in a bar or a coffee shop and all that, damn right, right I would sit down and and have a drink with them, you know, like it's, it's water and it's water under the bridge and nothing but good memories of high school, really. So, yeah, like I hated high school, but my teachers had a really tough job because I was a dick. So no doubt, you know, like any, anything like, like really like they, they were not paid enough to deal with my shit. 
So, you know, more power to him. Yeah, and whenever one of my teachers back then would say, oh, and I guess this is kind of relevant because you're going back to school coming up as well. September's just around the corner. Oh, my kids are back kids, in school. Kids, they're, you're back, they're back in already, yeah. yeah. I remember um, as a teenager, some of my teachers would say stuff like, what I would really like to do is take, you know, go back to high school with what I know now. <laughs> and when you're a 16 punk ass kid in a Slayer shirt, you're like, whatever, old man. You, you, you know, but man, uh, he's right. That those those teachers were dead on. My 50 year old brain and my 17 year old body, man, I would class president, straight A's, different cheerleader every night because <laughs> you you right. you could you know you can take that wisdom and apply it to the to the teenage world. Well, Holy shit, you would rule. And I think what other things would I have gotten to learn? had I dialed myself back enough to get to know some of those teachers and get some of their experiences, mm -hmm. you know, some of them mm -hmm. that are, that were war veterans. Um, <clears throat> and just some of the experience. Cause like one of our teachers built some of the most amazing sets everywhere. Like if I could have dialed myself back enough to like learn more from him, you know, he did screen printing, like, like there wasn't anything he couldn't do, you know? So yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely a lot of missed opportunities. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah. It's always that time to look back to your high school days. I know I do a lot, but we're going to look forward at least for the next hour and a half for this episode. We got a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about. Unfortunately, also as well, you heard at the top of the hop, we lost one Eric Wagner from he of trouble fame we got a special tribute for him coming up and before we get to that though for true cavalt coffee in our mandatory metal segment let's drop a track from domination campaign their 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 debut record onward to glory is available now via prosthetic Records. This is actually a side project of a couple of guys from Psychroptic, Radioactive Metal alum Psychroptic. So when this record came across my desk, I slapped it on. Really, really cool stuff. And we're going to drop that for our, our True Cavalt Coffee segment this week. So without further ado, this is the title track, Onward to Glory from Domination Campaign. Oh, <laughs> 
been very busy this week. Here's our metal fix. Oh, hey, dude, what's going on? All right, I am trying to see if I can get all this stuff to sync here. <laughs> because, here we go, sync, sync, sync. All right, so um, I feel like there's been a lot of shit, right? Because, and I know I don't have near enough of it written down here. Um, so that's why I got to find my notes wherever the hell I put them. But, fuck, hang on. Nothing's working right now. <laughs> Of course, of course not. So, all right, first thing, Kiss is canceling shows. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Right? Paul Stanley has COVID-19. By the time this comes out, it'll be, you know, well past a week that this has all been going on. But uh, they canceled the Pittsburgh show. They canceled the Atlanta show. I'm not sure what else they've canceled. Um, he, was, he said he had flu-like symptoms, and he was getting tested every day. And so my thought is he was probably singing when he had this. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Um, um, and, and like, so, I mean, one, what a fucking trooper, you know, mm-hmm. like, like people like, like to, you know, have their fun at rock stars. And... I'm just going to let the train go by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, I remember a couple times when we've done this Sunday afternoons before. Yeah. I forgot about the train. And yeah. Oh, dude. I, I, I'm. You know, it's funny, like all my life, I've, uh, well, except for uh, like one house, I live fairly near train tracks. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I, I like living near trains. But anyway, um, so, you know, one, everybody likes to say what pussies rock stars are sometimes and that they're divas. But I mean, they go through and they perform sick because they got shows, they got dates, they know they've got commitment. And, you know, when people try to say, like, oh, well, they have too much money as it is. Really? Did you go to work with COVID? Like, did you go to work with your flu like or did you call off? Mm-hmm. You know, or did you call off your mental health day because it was a nice day outside? So, um, you know, everybody lighten up. But fuck, dude. If, if, he, if, if he was sick doing shows, he could have been spreading it to everybody within, you know, so many foot radius. I'm not sure how close people were to the stage. Um, but fuck. I mean, he goes out in the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, like, shit. Like, this could be interesting. Like, this this could be like a whole new world of lawsuits, too. Like, think about that. Somebody gets COVID after that show, after they find out he had it, and then they sue the band. <laughs> like, like picture, yeah. picture that. Yeah. Picture the stupidity in that. And then he's fully vaxxed. The team's fully vaxxed. They operate in a bubble. Um, they actually have a COVID officer on hand to enforce CDC guidelines. Wow. Like that's, that's how serious they are about this. So that was that just blew my mind, right? So I'm like, fuck. So, you know, speedy recovery to Paul Stanley. Thanks for being a trooper. His, his Instagram, apparently people were like starting all these rumors. And he got on Twitter. He's like, guys, I'm not dying. I'm not on ICU. I've got COVID. Here's everything that happened. Chill the fuck out. You know? Well, he's got to be careful because he's not a spring chicken. He's in that, 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 that trouble area. He is, but he's probably healthier than you and I, dude. Oh, probably. Like, like I get it. He's old, but I mean, he's bikes 20 some miles every day, 26 miles a day. Like his heart's in great shape. His lungs are in great shape. Obviously his lungs are in great shape. I mean, listen to Mm -hmm. that fucking voice, but I mean, like 
he's really fucking healthy. He's probably a lower risk than you and I are, you know? Right. You know, so, yeah. So hopefully that goes well. Now, I wanted to ask you about this one. Have you heard about um, Dave Mustaine and Kirk Hammett joining Gibson Guitars? Have we talked about this? No, we have not. Okay. So Dave Mustaine joined Gibson first. Dave Mustaine and Gibson Guitars makes no fucking sense. None. He's always been a BC Rich player. He's always played the more edgy looking guitars, that kind of stuff. And so now they're trying to build some of his styles, quote unquote, into Gibson's and they look stupid. Like, I don't fucking care what anybody says. They like, they look stupid, but like Gibson, I don't know if you're aware of Gibson, but so dude, Gibson guitars are insanely overpriced in my opinion. You're, you're, I mean, like a Les Paul nowadays is like a couple grand when oh. you used to be able to get them for, you used to be able to get a Les Paul and a Strat for about the same price 20, 30 years ago. Um, okay. Strats really haven't changed price that much. Les Pauls have gone astronomically the, the other way. And they have all these different models and all this sort of stuff. Now, here's the crazy thing. Where a Strat you're getting, like, let's, let's say that, the, okay, so the last Strat I bought was ten years ago. It was about a thousand bucks. At that time, the Les Paul would have been closer to two thousand, right? Um, but the Strat you're getting for a thousand bucks is better quality than the two thousand dollar Les Paul. Like literally, especially even just within the last few years, people were posting all these videos getting this four thousand dollar Les Paul, and like parts of the guitar falling off in their hand as they're playing it, brand new. Wow. You know, and it's just like fuck. So. They were in a world of hurt. They got some new leadership in and they started a new campaign and they're really trying to revitalize the brand. The first thing they did was get quality going. And like everybody who's played the newer guitars is like, oh, finally, this feels like a Gibson again, you know? Mm-hmm. And Dave joins because now they want, now, now they need to get their artist roster built up and get people paying attention to their brand. And I'm like, so Dave joins. I'm like, fuck. I love Dave Mustaine. This is not a brand I want to see him on. I want to see him back on BC Rich. I want to see him like on Jackson, like something more metal looking. But then just recently, Kirk Hammett joined. I'm all about that. Kirk's been a collector of Gibsons for a while. Uh, Metallica famously played Flying Vs and Explorers for years. So now maybe we're going to get like the, the custom, you know, Flying V, Kirk Hammett. Like a real Gibson Kirk Hammett Flying V, which would be fucking great. Um, the question will be, will they do what ESP has done and do all the horror art? Ah. You know, because that's mm-hmm. not a Gibson thing to do. So it's going to be interesting. I I really could not believe that Kirk left ESP. Um, they've been with ESP for the last 30 years. And, wow. you know, uh, hell, even longer than that. And um, Metallica is a very family-oriented band, we'll say. Like, once they have, you know, some somebody they really trust, like, they're with them, you know? Right. And that, that's just how, how they roll. So I was shocked to hear that he was going over to Gibson. But Gibson makes sense for him, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. And while for we're sure. talking about Metallica, I officially have to take back every bad thing I said about the Black Album. Okay. Because I sat down to listen to the blacklist. 
right? And this is, believe me, this is to my horror, but that album does not suck. You have all these other artists covering every song of the Black album. So you get like 50 versions of every song, right? I'm right. exaggerating a little bit. But <laughs> I sat down to listen to the ones that had been released and I just, you know, let the album play whatever they had. <sighs> Dude, those are some great fucking songs. And it doesn't matter who's playing them, they're still great fucking songs. And, you know, some of them even got better where I'm like, oh, that's an interesting take. Like, fuck, like they really, really wrote great songs. So I need to raise up, give them, give them a, a break, stop busting their balls, and just accept that it really was a good album. Well, you know, regardless of how I feel about everything that went down <laughs> at the time. Right. Yeah. And then episode two of the Metallica podcast is out. They're talking about Bob Rock. And they're really getting into like the production and that sort of stuff, like working with Bob Rock, what it was like in the studio. And um, what, did, what did Bob say? Somebody's like, I bought Justice. And, you know, I listened to Justice. I knew what they were about. And he's like, but I went to see the band live. And he's like, they don't sound like they sound on the record live. Like they're bigger. And he's like, I was going to make sure of that. And they were talking about, um, I think it was Don't Tread on Me. Is that the one that starts? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's like, he's like the first, that first big thing that punches you in the face is that bass note. I'm like, yeah, he's right. And I mean, to, to go from zero bass on, <laughs> you know, justice to, to this huge ass bass sound on, um, the black album, like, fuck it. It's, it's been really cool to hear all the shit that Bob Rock talked them into doing that they didn't want to do, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just in how he went about it. Like it was, it was really cool. Like, and Without Bob Rock, because I used to give him a ton of shit too, but without him and without the Black Album, we wouldn't have the Metallica we have today. Like, we, we, we really wouldn't. And, and not even, I don't, I don't even mean like the size of their success, that sort of stuff. I just mean the musicians, the people they are today. Like, because that was a big growth moment for them to do that record. So, yeah. So I'm going to raise up off their nuts on that one, finally. After, you know, 30 years later. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, yeah, I guess it's never too late. You're, too, you're You have all this talk about Kirk and Gibson and all that. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, like, didn't Kirk Gibson play for the Detroit Tigers in the in the 80s? If I was a sports what, guy, I might know that. He <laughs> might know that. Okay, I'll show myself out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a sports guy, dude. Sorry, buddy. Okay. But I digress. Um, so back to like some real metal shit today, as you're listening to this album on September 3rd, the new fucking Iron Maiden album is out, Sinjutsu. Ooh. Have you heard any of the new singles? Uh, do we discuss writing on the wall? That's okay. it. That's it. That's all I've given a listen to. I guess maybe I'm just kind of waiting just to hear it all, you know, apart from that one well, track just because curiosity got me i was too and i found it by i found the new single stratego by accident because i was want to see when the album was going to drop because i was almost pre-ordered it from the maiden site but then they were saying that they're going to have these special colored versions that are going to be at various independent record stores so obviously i'm going to hit up my independent record store i'm going to go to monster i'm gonna be like hey let's talk you know? right on yeah me because too that's that's what i want you know and so, like, I'm super excited about Sinjutsu. Like, the artwork alone just has me just over the moon, you know? But mm-hmm. um, Stratego's really good. I enjoy that. Right on the wall's good. But I'll tell you, and 
like when I was listening to Writing on the Wall, Stratego, Stratego sounds better voice-wise to me. Writing on the Wall, like Dickinson's voice sounds labored, right? And he's, you know, I mean, fuck. The fact that he came back from throat cancer, survived it, and can still talk and sing is a miracle in itself. Mm-hmm. Right? But I listen to Writing on the Wall, I'm like, man, his voice just sounds really different. There's a different quality to it. And then I listen to... Um, the latest live album from like Mexico City, and I, I, I can't remember what it's called. I put it on to do yoga the other day. Um, but I'm listening to his voice, and he he can't he can't hit the high notes like he could. I mean, he's he's getting there, but it doesn't sound good. Like it sounds like a real fucking struggle. Like it sounds like it hurts him to do it. Um, so I'm kind of curious to know how much time we have left. So I'm really gonna cherish this album, and hopefully there'll be a tour that'll come somewhere I can see it. Mm-hmm. Get my ass out there and see it because if this is the last time, I'm gonna fucking be there for it. You know. Right on. Yeah. So, oh, this is guys. this could very well be it. Yeah. 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 So today nine three. Oh, also today nine three. Today is fucking Bandcamp Friday. As you're listening to this, um, Snowy, I I've got a challenge for you and I to do. Like we need to spend the next month, like going through Bandcamp and coming up with our Bandcamp Friday picks. Oh, okay. Like every time there's going to be a Bandcamp Friday, we should do, like, like you know, when we know the episode is going to drop on that Friday, we should put out what our picks are going to be. So the next one is going to be October 1st. Um, So we totally need to, like, have two or three bands, you know, especially especially the ones that we, uh, you know, feature in our indie spotlights and stuff like that, you know. Right. And for anyone who doesn't know Bandcamp Friday at this point, Bandcamp Friday is when uh, Bandcamp forgoes any of the royalties that they would get or any of their cut, and it 100% of the money goes to the artist. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, I, it was funny because they were saying, like, if you feel guilty purchasing on other days, like, like the artist still gets, like, 93%. They're just giving their other seven, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, they really, like, Bandcamp is the site that really takes care of the artists, and that's what we need, and that's why we're going to keep talking about it supporting it. So... September 3rd is also Bandcamp Friday, so go to Bandcamp, get the new Iron Maiden. It's a great time. Last thing. Have you heard the new Exodus single? Uh, no. no. Uh, okay, since I'm... Yeah, we played it at Matt's place, my co-host at Wrestling Night in Canada. So yes, good. but yeah. Mm-hmm. The beatings will continue until morale improves. It's so good. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> that's yeah. that's an Exodus title. Oh yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those are so those are definite those are definite Exodus riffs. Like there are some bands they have signature riffs. Scott Ian has Ian riffs. Oh yeah. Like like you you can tell like with you can just play a an an anonymous song with that with those with those riffs and you know okay that's either Scott Ian. Or band emulating Scott Ian, and the same can be said with Exodus riffs. Yeah, dude. Yeah, totally, and that totally song right. is littered. Yeah. So, um, do you follow Gary Holt on Instagram by any chance? I no, no. Every Saturday is Catterday. Oh right, yes. Okay. And I just fucking lose it every Saturday because. Like, so he posts this one, he got this cat in like a spiked, like leather wristband around his neck for a collar. And the caption just says, so sick of all those posers with flea collars in the mosh pit. 
<laughs> and then there's another one. And this one I sent to my mother. I was laughing so fucking hard when I saw this one. Like, you have a cat lying on its back. Um, its butt is towards the door. It's a clear, like, storm door. And there's a whole bunch of chickens outside the door kind of staring at the cat. And the cat's, like, like just, you know, laying on its back, like, basically sunning itself. But the caption mm-hmm. is... Addicted to catnip, Fluffy was forced to fund her habit by performing lewd acts for the neighbor's perverted chickens. <laughs> I was in tears. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. So I had to send that to my mom. My mom was was dying because, I mean, we grew up with cats, and she grew up with cats and chickens. So, like, it's ah. funnier to her, you know? Right. It was fucking hysterical. So that's all I got, you know, which I feel like it was a lot, a lot of shit for me to talk about today, but it's been a couple of weeks. So, what's going on with you? Well, with myself here, yeah, I've got definitely a, a wide variety of uh, stuff to talk about with my metal fix. But before we kind of get to that, I just kind of, I forgot to drop um, what I grabbed at Spirit. Oh, yeah, let's hear that. Okay. Including, like, one of those reusable bags with, with the cool design on it. And I use these bags when I go record shopping, you know, to to, to carry them in. I found one with a uh, with a replica of the uh, Camp Crystal Lake logo from from Friday the Thirteenth. No. Yeah, it's really 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 cool, but really really geeky. That's that's my new um, that's my new record shopping bag. Now, which as soon as I leave here on the way to catch up with the other guys, I'm sure I'll stop at a record shop and grab something as well. Just 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 to try out my new bag. Okay. Like, oh, hell you yes. Know, you know, like I have to we have to test it. So I gotta go to the record shop and pick up a couple records, you know, like gotta make sure that bag works. As well, a Friday the thirteenth uh, shot glass with the logo on it. Yeah, which I'll be using uh, whenever. I'm not I'm not imbibing right now as we're recording this, but henceforth, that's probably the shot I'll be using when uh, when recording this. And as well, how familiar are you with the movie The Shining? I am familiar enough with it to know that I never ever want to watch it. Oh. <laughs> it freaks me out. It it's very well done. Scares the shit out of me. I remember sitting down to watch parts of it with friends in the eighties, um, back in the old days of the VCR, and yeah, scares the fuck out of me. Right on, right on. Which yeah. is exactly what it's supposed to do. Well, it was yeah, based. Great movie. It, it was based in the Overlook Hotel. Okay, and one of the rooms, uh, room two thirty six, had some significance in the movie. So I found a keychain in the shape of a, a keychain for or a, a key to the uh, to room two 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 thirty six. No shit, like the as well, yeah. Keychains. Oh, right, dude. yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. really, for, really cool. For anybody who's like, man, what what age would you say and under? The thirty and under, probably probably thirty and younger. Right. And, um, we actually used to get an actual key to get into your hotel room. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and it had a key tag. Yeah, as, as well. And you know? <laughs> I mean, I think we've been using plastic cards for at least the last twenty years. So yeah, anybody twenty and younger has no idea. But I think even thirty and younger, they probably have never seen one. No, for sure. 
there for sure. Actually, the little hotel in you know when I took my took my dad out that 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 hotel in the small town, the small the small Saskatchewan town, there were no locks on our hotel doors. There was no lock going into the building because it's a small it's, yeah a small town, eighty eight people. You know, every everyone staying at our in in that hotel that weekend was family and friends and all that. But yeah, that's just that. Yeah, I know it was really weird. Like like Mrs. Snowy's like, well, there's no locks on these doors. Well, no, this is small town Saskatchewan, well, but she was still town, a little, also well armed. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, maybe, because, uh, yeah, it's definitely hunting territory. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's like my neighborhood <laughs> I grew up in. And when people are like, oh, guns are so bad. I'm like, really? I'm like, because the neighbors had a fucking arsenal. They were all hunters. And I've never felt safer. Uh-huh. Like, trust me, oh, there's yeah. no shit going down in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we're good, you know? <sighs> So with with my metal fix for the first time, eighteen months, finally made my way out to a rock show. Ah, oh, yes, here, here. Um, there's an old old time. We used, it used to be a movie theater, and um, just from the the thirties and forties, this this theater was made. It was for many many years. It was called the Walker Theater, but Recently, I don't know, about five years ago, they changed it to the Burton Cummings Theater in in honor of, you know, the Winnipeg veteran, the legendary Burton Cummings from the Guess Who. All that. Well, this, the last couple weekends, okay, they had a thing called the Burt Block Party, which is... They they said they fenced off the the surrounding block and they they were going to have the bands playing outside in the parking lot in the surrounding area. Okay, fortunately, the last couple of weekends it rained. You know, <laughs> we hardly got any rain for months. It was the, the words like drought was being thrown around in this area. Okay, finally, live music returns to Winnipeg, and it rains on everyone's parade both weekends. So we had to move this this edition into this amazing theater, which is something I would really like you to see. It's a great old-time theater. I love that kind of stuff. And it was classic rock night, your Canadian classic rock night, with uh, head headliner Streetheart, Honeymoon Suite, Maple Syrup and, Mary, and head, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Headpins, which of course, longtime listeners will remember, we've actually had Honeymoon Suite and the Headpins on in the past. So this is definitely for me a great trip down memory lane. And believe it or not, Street Heart, okay, the headliners are these legendary Winnipeg hard rock band that I've I've never seen live. Just for one reason or another, for yeah, it's it's it blows my mind why how I haven't able to see them up to this point. And throughout the evening, we learned that this was the first time Streetheart ever played these hallowed halls. Oh wow, that's cool. yeah, that was really surprising. Yeah. So, and so, 
I, I feel like we need to give a backstory, though, for anyone who might have only started listening the last year. When Snowy says this is his first show in 18 months, a slow week for Snowy was three shows in a week. <laughs> that was a slow yeah, week. Yeah, right. there were. You I've guys had, have to put this shit into context here. <laughs> yeah, there are some people that go to like shows once a year. And I'm talking about living in, you know, big cities. Okay. They go to concerts like once a year, twice a year, once every 18 months or whatever. Oh, see, I, 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 I don't know how I got through this. Okay, I don't know how some people can live having access to live shows and not go to them. Like, that just does not compute. You know, yeah, so. that's how I feel now uh, that I have no shows. <laughs> we got to get you out of the sticks, dude. And we got to get you up here when Ninja Cat Productions, who I volunteer with, oh. is start start bringing in all the bands. That's that's Dude, going to be the. I'd love to, and I'd volunteer as well. I'd I'd fucking rodeo show. I think it'd be a great time. That'd be a great experience. Uh, it is. It, it's yeah. It really is. Like like some people ask us, like you're working, you're not getting paid, and all that. You're lugging all this heavy equipment around, but it's like try it, just try it, okay. And you'll get, you'll you'll see why why it is that we get so excited about it and why we do it because it's just it's 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 an amazing time and you def don't necessarily think that it would be this this, this show like I said it's a nice I like I, I, I listened to these bands today and I enjoyed them in my teens. But, you know, for the most part, yeah, it's kind of a trip down memory lane, particularly for a lot of um, the people like at the gig. OK, dude, so much gray hair. <laughs> OK, not only not only on the stage, but all, all around people yeah. watching because, OK, this is people from 40 to 70 i would say is the age range there is a couple young younger people and all that but for for the most part it's it's the nostalgia crowd you know i'm going to a live show and i'm i'm going to be young for the day and while i kind of admire that spirit another part of me goes well why aren't you like this 24 7 like this old timer here you know, <laughs> you know like it shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily have to be in the nostalgia it could be lifestyle, but to each their own. And there, there are a couple of times where you see, you know, like, and I'm going to use some of the expressions here, like cougar and milf. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> these, these, these still, still beautiful women in their forties, oh. and they're all deck, decked out in their rocker gear and all that. And then those expressions come to mind. Oh, that milf's got it going on. And then I have to remind myself. That's not a MILF. She's okay, your she's age. your age. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You're, you're not really oh, 25, pal. You're so old. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I had an absolutely fantastic time. It's just, I was a little, I was a little nervous kind of getting into it because dealing with Ticketmaster and you have to be double vaxxed, which I am, and you need certain cards and IDs, which, okay, I'm, I'm all set up, but. Instead of physical tickets, you know, they're 
they're emailing it to your phone. Oh, yeah. And then, then they're saying, download this, put it on this, do that, do that, and another thing. I think I've got my think I've got my tickets. I get up to where they're they're gonna be scanned and I just kinda hold my breath. You know? <laughs> please. Okay. Please I, I let keep this forgetting work. that you're technologically <laughs> challenged still a little bit. I, I can be, but I got it right. Yeah. I did it. I did it. We got we got in, and it was a great time. I do. I've been doing that for as many shows as I can remember. Like I, I don't remember the last time I've had a physical ticket. Like I'm, wow. I'm all about it. Like I just put everything on my phone. I I prefer it because that way it's in one spot. I know where it's at. I'm not going to drop it out of my pocket. I've got it, you know, <clears throat> screenshotted. So I've got two backup copies of it. Like I'm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of digital ticketing. I really am. But yeah, I can see if it's your first go. Like, yeah, my, my first time. It was, time, yeah. Yeah, that, it was a little nerve-wracking that first time. So yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. Got to make sure, oh, I didn't screw something up. Because you're dealing with corporations and they really don't care. Oh, yeah. You know, no, no. You have this one little thing, you're gone. Well, didn't you fly okay. a couple years ago to... Um, where, no, fuck. To, Toronto, the, Quebec, to, the, Quebec. to Montreal, yeah. to the Quebec desk. Did you have physical paper tickets there? No, they were on our good buddy Ducky's phone. Okay. I'm, he I'm took like, he, he took right, care of right. everything. Okay, so, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Like, right. Man, I've been using digital ticking for the airline for as long as I can remember. Like, I, ah. I last, like when I have to get a paper ticket, I'm like, what the fuck is this thing? You know? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. No, for sure, for sure. And through this show, by the end of the night, okay, and I went speaking with Ducky, I went with his dad, Darren, DJ, because it was so, it was so good dumping the kids and just hanging out and talking to someone, you know, close to my age for an, an evening. I, I developed a new snowyism. Okay. Because I was out of concert shape quote quote unquote okay because <laughs> because after a long after, after a long long day at work which i have a physical job my feet were sore my back was sore my neck was sore oh, actually wow. head banging to street art yeah. <laughs> you know like i was just okay uh, and he was just like pre pre pre-pandemic no problem you know i would go, I would go to work all day and then sit through four bands, loading out, lo lo loading gear out, stumbling home at two in the morning, up at work for work the next day and all that. Like, no, no problem. Okay, but uh, I got to get back into concert shape here. Like, I, I, I got I to hit the gym and start working out again and all that so I can, you know, like I'm trying to emulate what athletes do to get into game shape. Well, I got to get into concert shape here again because i'm looking forward to yeah because man once once the you know the floodgates are are, are going to be opening now like like i said this is the first live music i've seen i feel like this is a false start you know? buddy well as we mentioned you know as we mentioned a couple uh a couple episodes ago the Canadian punk veterans, uh, well, Winnipeg punk veterans, Propagandy will be playing here, home to hometown show, sold out, and we're gonna be doing the uh, doing the roadie, the load in and out for them. So that's gonna be the test. That's going to be the test. Yeah, yeah. 
other cool stuff here. Um, I hit the record shops yesterday. Picked up a couple new um, new releases, but of older material. The really cool '90s uh, feminist punk band uh, Spitboy. Their entire discography called Body of Work. Okay, because this was a band. They mostly did seven inches and uh, EPs. The whole body of work on a really cool uh, two album, two album release. Really cool. I was cranking that. And as well, back in the mid '80s, during that whole crossover scene with DRI, COC, and all that, all those really cool hardcore bands mixing in with the metal scene and all that. Out of Toronto, there was a really cool hardcore band called Sudden Impact. They were they were knee knee deep in that whole scene. Their debut record, uh, No Rest for the Wicked, is a classic now. Before them signing on to Fringe Products to release that record, they had a uh, a cassette demo tape going back to the old demo days, which I enjoy so much. <clears throat> well, Supreme Echo recently pressed that old school demo on in onto a seven inch format. I went down to Ear Control yesterday, hanging out with a uh, radioactive metal alum, Brad. Grabbed those two releases. Really, really cool stuff. For something, for something a little bit different. We've been hitting the comic shops a lot lately. Awesome. We're, yeah, yeah. Mrs. Snowy and I were buying. We're getting back into buying. Like like little Snowy, she never really stopped. She's still like we would go to the shops with her to hang out and check everything out and all that. But we weren't really buying very much over over the years. But I think we're back into it big time. One of the things that I really dug is DC Comics, home of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman and all that. I've heard of those people, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had a they had a little mini series called Dark Knights Death Metal. Yes. Needless to say, that got my attention. Okay, now I missed the series when it was a six-issue comic book series, but I found the um, deluxe edition hardcover graphic novel to it. Rock on. Where they start, where the three of the, like, where the the Justice League is uh, fighting uh, various different, armies and demons from the dark multiverse all led by the, an evil batman and all that it was a really awesome story there's not really much connection to death metal really but um it was enough for me to have have a look enough for me to say well this is fucked up and enough for me to shell out for it there is like a soundtrack for this I was just gonna okay, say, like, 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 you know, there's a record, right? There, there, yeah. the, there is. Yeah, I believe there's a Mastodon song on it. There's a Courage Angren song on it, who we've had on the show, and all that. And it's like, okay, it's just a compilation. Ah, but I think I want this album now that I have the book. I need the soundtrack to it. Uh, have you seen it yet? Like, you haven't seen it. I have. I, I have. I have. Yeah, I haven't like, shelled out. For, the yeah, art but is I think fucking I, amazing. It is. It's so cool. It is. Yeah, like I'm with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's definitely, 
It's definitely on the to get list. Speaking of comic books, okay, good good friend of the show. We've had probably had Mr. Matt Harvey. He of in of uh, exhumed gruesome pounder. We've had him on many times. We'll have him on many times again. Okay, really good friend of the show. Relapse just dropped a solo record of his. Really? Okay. And it's the most unique record that he's ever put out. He is a big comic book nerd. Okay. Okay. He and and horror film. He's just you think I'm geeky. Sit down with Matt Harvey for an hour. He will blow your mind with it. And his new solo record is called The Last Son of Krypton. Cool. Okay, now what this is like you're familiar with film scores. Oh like yeah. First for, for superhero movies and all that. Well, what Mr. Harvey did is he wrote about a dozen songs kind of inspired by superhero film scores. Okay? Like it's for it's for a quote-unquote movie that doesn't exist. That's awesome. Okay, but but he scored it. Okay? And it's just uh, it's just a wicked idea, and I don't have a physical copy of it yet. Soon enough, I will. There will definitely be a vinyl in my possession, but it's available on YouTube. The whole album streaming. That's killer. And all that. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, the last son of Krypton. It's totally well, well recommended. So just to give you kind of a little taste. Of that, let's get into some tunes here, Mr. Harvey. Great record, dude. I already said to him, like we we got to have you on the show ASAP to talk about this. Okay, I'm getting excited already to drop the track. Look up in the sky from good friends, Mr. Matt Harvey.
From that aforementioned demo slash new 7-incher, that is the Canadian hardcore band Sudden Impact from the that Freaked Out release. And I guess that's kind of the title track for the band itself, Sudden Impact. Really, really cool stuff. Check it out. Everything, everything that we talked about in, uh, in our uh, Metal Fix here. Check out really, really cool stuff. Unfortunately, the past little while, there has been some not cool stuff happening. We lost some key names in the music world. Not, 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 not at least not to mention, okay, one Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones yeah. as well. Definitely. That that doesn't come as a shocker. Like, he was 80 as well. He was 80, but, I okay. mean, he was still doing very well. And Right. Stones are still playing. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, they, he, he bowed out for health reasons, and, you know, he, of the tour, he's just like, yeah, for the first time ever, my, my time is off. So he's still in good spirits and joking around. So I really didn't think it was anything more than, okay, you know, he's got something going on, he'll be back. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like the Rolling Stones, when one of them dies, it's kind of like when Lemmy died, where you think they're immortal and you're like, fuck, they're human. Uh huh. Because they've just been around doing it for so long. Yeah. Like, they've never yeah. stopped. You, you know? And when you think about how, how old they are, and really, this is only the second member that we've lost in our lifetime. I, you know, I believe um, one of them had passed away in the 80s, but, you know, through the various line, the, the lineup changes, like Keith, Keith, Mick, still around, you know, and I just, you make jokes about how Keith Richards will never die and all that, but he's going to, and it's probably going to be sooner than later. And because we have this, these memes and this jokes and all that, when re- when Richards do- does does pass away, everyone's going to be shocked, you know, because we had it. We convinced ourselves of it that he that he's not and all that. So it's going to be yeah, yeah. That's too bad as well. But closer, a little a little closer to the metal world, we lost you know trouble main man vocalist whatever you want to call him, Mister Eric Wagner. That that kind of came out of the blue. I was really surprised and shocked by that. And um, it really kind of hit home because I discovered Trouble with, at the time, it was just their debut record self-titled called Trouble back in 84. I discovered that the same time that I went metal full-time in general. So my fandom with trouble goes back to metal itself so that that was kind of rough and we've had various members of trouble on the show including mr wagner so once again we lost another radioactive metal alum this week an even bigger fan and one of his all-time favorite bands of is of trouble is our former co-host, Mr. Rock Valiancourt, 
Oh yeah. He all all through yeah. You know because they had they have that doomy that slow doomy style that he loves so much and he didn't wasn't ashamed or afraid to let all of our listeners know exactly how much he loved it. Okay, so he started this um, little mini series we had going on the show for a while called the album autopsy, where the idea is we sit down with an artist and whoever else was connected to that album and just dissect it <laughs> thus thus album autopsy sorry about that okay now <laughs> that's you should hear all the other podcasts i listen to there's dogs there's cats walking across the keyboards there's there's all sorts of things so it's all part of the business well with the album autopsy like like i said we sat down with 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 the artist and just just go through it with a fine tooth comb. The first the first album featured in this unique mini series was Trouble's debut, now later on to be retitled Psalm 9. For the 30th anniversary of that record, Rock sat down with Mr. Wagner, drummer Jeff Olson, and Metal Blade main man and producer Bill Matoyer as well. I was totally blown away by all the effort that he put into this. And the fact that we had a great guy like Matoyer on the show, I was totally marking out because that name is synonymous with Metal Blade in general. And, you know, Metal Blade, really good friends of the show here. So when... The, the 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 passing of Mr. Wagner was announced. I knew this was the way that we were going to pay tribute. So I went back into the Radioactive Metal Vaults. I pulled up the album Autopsy episode. And we are going to present it to you know, our longtime listeners. Obviously, we'll remember the album Autopsy series. But with every every podcast, you know, you have listeners coming and going all the time and all that. So we're going to give our newer listeners kind of a kind of a blast from the past, shall we say, while we pay tribute to one of Metal's all-time greats. So without further ado, this is Mr. Valiant Court's chat in the inaugural album Autopsy with the late, great Eric Wagner Trouble drummer Jeff Olson and Metal Blade producer Bill Matoyer. The autopsy is a scientific investigation involving more or less complete dissection of the dead body. The purpose is to reveal the presence of pathologic processes and their relation to clinical events preceding death and to determine the cause or causes of death. The doctor is in. Okay, so on the line, we have three of the architects of one of Heavy Metal's most influential albums. Now, the album I'm talking about is uh, Psalm 9 by Trouble, 
which actually celebrates this year its 30th anniversary. That's mind-boggling. Uh, so on the line, we have uh, Eric Wagner, uh, the vocalist, and Jeff Olson, the drummer. So yeah. how, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing good, man. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And we also have on the line uh, the producer of the album. We have uh, Bill Matorier. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing okay. It's a little early for me, but uh, uh, otherwise I'm fine. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, truly, that is, it's really great. Thank you so much. So, so, uh, so before we talk about the past, let's talk a little bit about the present. Uh, what's going on with uh, with everybody, uh, Bill? I'd like to start with you real quick. Uh, are you working on any uh, cool projects these days? Uh, what's going on with you? Well, uh, there's a couple of things that I, I I probably can't talk about, but recently I got into the studio again with DRI, oh. and it was the first time in 20 years that those guys have been in the studio. So uh, it, it's, it was pretty interesting to to see their reaction to some of the technology that is happening today that wasn't uh, way back 20 years ago last time they were in the studio. So um, I'm still not too sure what's going to happen with the recordings that we did, but it was fun uh, just uh, getting together in the studio with those guys again. Very cool, very cool. And, uh, and Jeff and Eric, you, you guys, uh, you know, currently have uh, your your new band, uh, the Skull, and uh, you have just released uh, on November fourth, November fourth, uh, for those which are asleep on TP Records. So, are you guys happy with how the whole product came out and, and all that stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, love it. It was a lot of fun doing it. Maybe the most fun I've had recording the record in years. You know, so and. It was cool too because everybody got to contribute, which was a. You get. Can you fill this for me? <laughs> um, yeah, it was cool because the the everybody got to contribute. It was like five dudes. They each had their own ideas about stuff, but for some reason, it all kind of works and sounds like a band and an album. So uh, that part of it, I was really happy about. Yeah, and it's gotten great reviews so far. I haven't seen one negative review so far. Are you guys happy with that? Yeah. No, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I know, stupid question, I know. <laughs> there, had, there had to be a couple that thought it was soft, you know. <laughs> there was a couple times like the next morning after getting up and being in the studio and I listened to my vocal track and where I said it sucked. <laughs> Let's do it again. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, with, with the with the state of of the music industry these days, you know, the the music business, you know, quote unquote, why was it important for you guys to put out a new album? Why not just put out a few songs on iTunes or something like that? You know, vinyl. Because that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Because no, just we wanted to just uh, go back to the to who we were and I think I think when you listen to the record you kind of hear that it's probably the way that it should be done still you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. and everybody that does do it that way it, it you can tell the difference like you know and that's how we know to record I mean even though modern technology is involved now which actually benefits us so if you do it right and you're you know, you give your hundred percent, and you just make a great record. It's all that matters. Like you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very, very true, very true. 
Uh, and I saw I was looking at your your website and your Facebook page. I saw that you guys have some uh, some tour dates in December. So uh, do you have anything also scheduled for next year so far, or what? Well, South by Southwest was a uh, I thought right. I think I don't know when it is though, but I think yeah. we're planning. It's next year sometime. Okay. So I think we're going to do this week coming up in December. Uh, lay some new stuff out on people. And then um, in the springtime, I think, is when we're really going to do some cool shit, you know. Okay. We might. We were talking about going back into the studio sometime this winter, maybe doing a another single or something, too, real quick, just to keep the new shit flowing, you know. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I like that technique. Uh, forgot a bunch of bands have that way of doing it. I think, uh, what's that peaceful band with... Uh, Oh man, uh, they'll put out a full length and then they'll put out a single, like so that it's constantly active. Mm-hmm. The Swans did it that way, I think, when they were super active. I, uh, I know that the Skid Row does the same thing too. They put out five songs, then they'll wait a few months, put out another five songs too. So it seems to be the way things are going now. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think it fits both worlds when you can do that. Then you can throw those things on the little uh, leak stuff with leaking mp3s mm-hmm. you know yep. and then you can put the vinyl out when it should be you know with more packaging more intimate yes yes very true um so let's get let's get into the meat of the uh of the, the conversation i wanted to have today like i said earlier it's the 30th anniversary of psalm 9 uh, to me, it was a it was a landmark album in metal. So uh, I think it's time. It's good idea to celebrate what it what it is and and to talk about it in in uh, in depth. So the first question I had about it was that was not the original name for the album, was it? I believe it was self titled. Yeah, yep, it was just called Trouble. Yeah, that's uh, what I have. I have a white vinyl here. Yeah, Ooh, later all mine on it. Actually, uh, I think Metal Blade put Psalm 9 on there when we signed with Deaf American, and that first one was just called Trouble. So I think to distinguish the two, they added the Psalm 9 to it. Okay. Oh, and that was Metal, uh, Metal Blade's decision? It wasn't your guy's decision to call it Psalm 9? I, I, don't, I don't really remember, to be honest with you. You know, I don't think we were too pissed. If we didn't know about it, I don't know if we were kind of pissed or nothing. It kind of maybe would be the name of it if if we actually named it mm-hmm, probably mm-hmm. You know? okay makes sense um so how, how did you guys wind up signing with uh, metal blade back in the day was it did you send demos out i mean was there a lot of interest from other labels how did that happen i sent them a letter with uh our live uh the deaf club thing eric remember that yeah, yeah. and uh it was a cassette and um I have we have a copy of the letter um, from Brian saying you know hey and then all of a sudden we got these contracts from Cohen and somebody like uh, the lawyers contracts and uh, that we got uh, put on the Metal Massacre four and uh, then uh, we got lucky to get two more records. It's kind of funny, though, that that demo was, you know, at the Deaf Club, so nobody could hear at the show, you know. I mean, there, was, there was a few people here, 
few people I imagined that could that was there just to see us, but <laughs> most of the people were deaf. So I don't know if that I don't know if that tells me something or not. You know. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So uh, after you guys signed, uh, how how did Bill uh, come into the picture? How how was he picked as a producer? Did you have a choice, or was what did the Brian Slagel say? Hey, no. you're getting Bill. No, he was forced on us. <laughs> yeah, they they had no choice. No, we. <laughs> I mean, back then I was actually part of Metal Blade. So um, besides sitting behind the desk, uh, I. I got to work in the studio with a lot of people just because uh, I, I work for cheap. So, yeah, Brian uh, let me do a lot of records because I didn't ask for a lot of money. There you go, there you <laughs> but, go. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, back in those days, what, what the guys are saying about uh, being on a metal massacre first, I mean, that's basically the, the way we did things. It's like we'd, we'd get demos, uh, put out the metal massacre compilations, and, you know, you find out from people which are the bands that really uh, that the public really likes and would usually go after them for for to do uh, full albums for us okay so okay. that's yeah that's the way we worked it back then okay and back then you had worked with a a handful of bands I mean you had worked with Slayer Omen Fate's Warning Bitch and you had done some demos for Abattoir so you weren't exactly new but you weren't a, a veteran yet so So uh, how how, yeah. how did I you mean, approach uh, this? I I started back in Metal Masker too, so they they you know they they came along uh, Metal Masker four, so yeah I had, I had been doing it uh, for a while back okay. then. Okay, yeah. Now now the album was recorded at Track Records in L.A. in February of '84. Um, now I know that Trouble was based in uh, Chicago at the time. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, so. How did you make your way to L.A.? Did you guys fly there? Did you drive there? I mean, was, was there, is there some stories there? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. We all piled in an orange van and headed out to Beverly. You know? <laughs> uh, we were all excited, though. I just got asked the question, like, were we nervous or something? And I'm like, no. It was like a dream come true. Here we are, you know? Just some goobers from Aurora, man, outside of Chicago. And, We're going to L.A. to make a record, like you know. <laughs> so, uh, it was, it was we a, crashed. It we was crashed a, on the way out. Yeah, oh. equipment quit, was all over the expressway. It was like 40 below. It was it was good. Oh wow, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I, I was so nervous. I threw my uh, canister of weed. Oh, so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> After that whole accident, we're finally back on the road, sitting there relaxed, like, all right, Oli, I think we need to smoke some weed here. Calm down. I don't have it. Where is it? I threw it out the window. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. That's what... <laughs> so, so, you guys, once you got to L.A., you must have been uh, enjoying the weather, though. It must have been quite, a, well, the, quite different. The, The first thing we did was order some weed. <laughs> <laughs> was that part of the recording budget, or? Yeah, uh, yeah. probably. <laughs> I think there's a picture of me and Oli, and I think Brian's in the studio. Bill's probably sitting there. We're we're actually looking at the bag, and we're all excited. Found <laughs> <laughs> one of the sites. I saw it. I think. <laughs> Oh, Now great. we can make a record. 
So I just remember Chachi Scott Bale. Really? What? That's where we got it from. Do you remember that, Bill? That's where we got it. No. You don't remember that. I don't remember that. Me neither. Chachi was waiting in the thing. He came in. We weren't locked in. It wasn't a locked one. So Chachi's time slot was after us, and we just kept teasing him, Chachi. He's like, no, come on, call me Scott. <laughs> and we're like, hey, Chachi. <laughs> so he was recording an album or what? Some kind of thing. I don't know, spoken word, who knows. It was an album. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, there, there, was a, there was a lot of celebrities that would come by uh, track record way back then. And I, I know he was one of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, oh, I, I I got to work with uh, uh, Hasselhoff. I think one of the first times he was probably even in the studio <laughs> was uh, at track record with me. Wow! So yeah, that's it. Was, uh, very well was probably uh, Chachi that uh, <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> but you didn't buy the weed from him, did you? No. No. Oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> That's probably why I don't remember I was told. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So so once you got you guys got in, into the studio, um, like Jeff, this question is more for you and Bill. How long did it take to uh, like to to find the drum sound? You know, to to decide okay, this is the drum sound we want. <laughs> Bill will love this question because <laughs> remember I brought I brought out all these bass drums are going to be used for timpani. And we're we're gonna put these on the ground, and we're gonna record these timpani tracks. <laughs> and we're gonna oh do. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> and, and we're gonna do like eight uh, overdubs of the snare drum in bastards. Uh, the roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so I loved that spring reverb that was the size of a whole wall. I mean, plate reverb. Sorry, this giant reverb at that studio was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that was pretty cool. That's the old school stuff. Yeah, just a big thing in the other room that somehow a, a reverb came out. Of, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the beauty of yeah. From for, from what I remember is uh, uh, you know I I was just trying to get always kit and you know that that's the way it sounded mm-hmm. and uh you know the besides his um weird, weird ideas about all the overdubs and things like that i think uh i don't remember it being much of a hassle to uh to get a drum sound okay okay do you always i don't remember well it's a miracle <laughs> because that kit is the must <laughs> a miracle Eric named that drum set the Mutt because it was just S and H Green Stand bought here, there, bought there. Like here, you need a Tom? Yeah, I'll take it. And uh, yeah, it wound I, up being uh, that big drum set. Yeah, I don't remember it being pretty. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, it's one of the one of my favorite drum sounds ever on on, on an album. Uh, Ow. I, I just love I just love how the way it sounds the way the snare drum sounds when whenever you do do those those the snare rolls my god I, I just I just love it so um, now I know we don't have any of the guitar players here but do you guys remember how long it took to get the guitar sounds was that a, a, a an issue that, or that probably took the longest <laughs> yeah that that I do remember being an issue I mean I, I don't oh, yeah. remember. Uh, 
working with any guitar players up until that point that were that picky about their sound. Okay. I mean, looking back, thank God that they were. But yeah, I remember sitting there for uh, for hours trying to uh, please Rick and especially Bruce. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember that I, I thought I was almost there with the sound and I turned to Bruce and said, well, what, what do you think? And he goes, well, sounds kind of fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> something, you know, some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, I, I want to talk a little bit about the songwriting credits because the album, it only says music, songs by Trouble. Now, was this like more collaborations? Uh, let everybody pitch in. I know, Eric, I think you wrote all the lyrics, right? I wrote all the lyrics, yeah. Um, okay. You know, in, in them early days, it was kind of like we made the agreement, like Sabbath, you know, where all their names were on there and stuff. But, you know, and we started writing and stuff, and it really didn't turn out that way. But, um, you know, like the Tempter, like I was saying earlier, that was... You know, we were down in our rehearsal room, and for some reason, I remember standing there, probably shooting the shit with Oli and Rick or whatever. And our really our original bass player, Tim Brown, is the one who wrote that song. I remember him and Bruce over there, and Bruce pulling his hair out, trying to figure out how to take Ian's well, we call him Ian, his yeah. uh, his idea to make it go from bass to guitar. Mm -hmm. You know, and we had a demo before that, and there's got to be like, like evolution, like there's a missing link or something, because I really don't know how we got from that shitty demo to the tempter. <laughs> I can't remember. That's all missing right there. The bass player right before Sean. Sean kind of, you know, that dude left kind of before we went to record, and that's when we got Sean. Okay. So he wasn't on that first record, wasn't really involved. Uh, a lot of the Psalm 9 and the Skull were written in the same time period. Okay. So, you know, Sean was there for part of the Skull, but... Uh, so the Tempter, that was Tim's song. And I, I, like I said, I remember Bruce over there. They were sitting over there for hours. Bruce was trying to uh, transpose it to from from his base. He's a nut, Tim was. <laughs> he, he did End Time, too, so... That's the only song I didn't write. I didn't write the lyrics to. I think them guys all pitched in on that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, okay. <laughs> End time, yeah. So, so the Tempter, that was like the first tune. Um, that was maybe one of the first tunes we wrote. Actually, Ian also wrote the song that was on Metal Master 4. Yes. Uh, Last Judgment. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was a uh, he was probably the heaviest songwriter. Although the whole record's heavy, so I can't really say that. But he had a couple good ones on there. Okay, okay. So people would bring in uh, what they wanted to. Well, the, the guitars would just play. it. We'd sit on the couch in the basement. I brought in "Victim of the Insane" on a cassette that I recorded on the Yamaha piano at home. Yeah. And then them guys are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so we had to transfer it from piano to guitar somehow. 
Some things never change, do they? <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> okay, well, we were just talking about the Tempter. Let's let's get right into uh, each song now. So, side okay. one, tri- track one, uh, the Tempter. Um, the uh, the intro. There's like a really cool intro to it. Who came up with that idea to do that intro? I said the chapter was uh, Ian's song. Okay, so that was or, him too. Okay, that was the his intro, song. The intro was that thing we just talked about with the timpani, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, okay. the begin. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, yeah. And okay. Eric and I, uh, I don't know what how we talked about this weird uh, story about these people trying to get out of hell that they just wanted a, to have a someone's finger come down with water on it that's how bad the suffering was we wanted to have sound of the album open up with complete suffering okay in hell okay okay makes sense now makes sense now because you hear uh, i believe it's eric that goes in the background help me <laughs> yes yeah. so that was that's you hear you that's ollie ollie did some of that stuff too <laughs> in the beginning He's, he, and he's the one sitting there crumbling that paper bag. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, there's <laughs> a paper bag. Like, to make it sound like fire or something, you know. Oh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> That's very cool. That's very modern, cool. Modern techno- uh, technology. Oh, yeah. We were up on it, man. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've seen a thing about Judas Priest where they were saying in the song Metal Gods, they were using, uh, um, you know, they were using uh, forks and spoons to make that, that crashing sound. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, paper bag, that works. <laughs> it is metal. Exactly, exactly. So uh, so I have to say... There weren't, a lot of, uh, there weren't a lot of sound effects CDs back then, you know? Yeah. So we yeah, yeah. had to do it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> does that happen a lot? Uh, well, Bill, did that happen a lot back in the day where you had to just create whatever you needed? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember working with Warlord one time, and uh, we needed plates crashing so we got some plates and crashed them into the room and I, I mic'd it up you know <laughs> nowadays you'd never have to do that kind of stuff but yeah, yeah we back back then like I said uh, there, there weren't CDs much less CD sound effects records so well, that kind we of, had to do it all ourselves that kind of takes away half the fun though when you all you have to do is take a CD and get the sound you want you know uh, yeah, but uh, it's modern technology. What, yeah, what are you gonna... We did have a lot of fun doing stuff like, you know, that intro to Tempter with, uh, you know, using a paper bag as fire. So yeah. at least we got stories from that. <laughs> so, uh, so that opening riff, uh, when when this, the song finally kicks in, to me that, that's, that riff kind of sets the tone for pretty much all the doom metal genre. Yeah, all the way up to today. Yeah, 
Um, would, would you guys agree? I mean, that's it, it's so iconic. I mean, it, when people hear that, they know it's trouble, and they know it's they're in for a, for a, a, a doom song, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, when you do hear that opening note, especially when we do it live, I mean, everybody knows what it is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess we were the first person or band ever to use that note. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so the, the tempter goes through, you know, a, a lot of tempo changes. Um, but when, when you play the, 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 the slow parts, and this is a question for Jeff, when you get to those really slow parts, when you play them in concerts, in concert, I mean, is it hard to keep time and to slow down to the pace that you want to, uh, to, to, to go at? Or <laughs> Not anymore. I'm having a heart attack back there, so... <laughs> It's the slow parts. I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, no, I used to have a problem playing too fast. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, Barry, who followed me later on other Trouble Records, really moved. And them guys were like, whoa, slow down. But live version. <laughs> yes, I was always told to slow down. Uh, I think that just adrenaline yeah. problems. I was learning how to be a professional. Uh, musician i think the guys in trouble taught me how to play and that's why the drums got less and less and less over the years hit harder stop playing them stupid rolls <laughs> well you know back then we were doing them all like the live version of, of the song but now uh the cool thing about the skull is now we're doing the album version mm-hmm. yeah we uh, and it's pretty cool on stage be hearing it like that because it's in that groove and it just makes it heavier, even you know, instead gotcha. of just busting through the shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on the lyric side, uh, Eric, um, the song talks basically about the the devil and, and hell and how the devil will tempt you. And um, but you've always said in interviews that you didn't want to talk about Satan and Lucifer and stuff like that. But yet, there you are talking about it on the very first song. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so. Uh, what was the idea behind the lyrics of, for, for, for that song? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, back then with what was going on in, in metal and stuff, I mean, I don't know if I did anything really different than everybody else. I just, I just didn't grow up believing in that, and I wasn't one to sing about shit that I didn't believe, you know, mm-hmm. where a lot of those bands, you know, Satan this, Satan that, but they weren't really into that. They were just singing about it because they thought it sounded cool. And I was really doing the same thing, except at the end or something, I'd always give it a, maybe a positive twist, you know? Um, yeah, I've noticed that you do that a lot, the, the little positive twist at the end of the songs, yes. Well, that's, you know, I, like I said, I ain't, I can't, I've never been able to even write about stuff that I don't believe myself, mm-hmm. you know? So I think the tempter of the title, I was just, you know, I used to collect Bibles and stuff and it's very fascinating because they're all a little different, but I don't know what part I was reading at that particular time, but the headline on that particular verse was the tempter. And I'm like, well, that's a good title for a song. Yeah, definitely. You know? So, like I said, we weren't really no different than everybody else at that particular time, except that I didn't believe in worshiping Satan or whatever, or even doing it, or even doing it just to 
for it to sound cool, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. that's not my job here on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now let's move on to uh, track two, uh, Assassin. <laughs> This is one of the faster songs that you have, uh, and you know a lot of people herald this album as like the ultimate doom album. But man, it's like half and half. You know, half of it is really slow, but half of it is kind of fast. So, um, so this is one of the the, the faster ones you did. Um, that was Bruce's song. Okay. And um, lyrically, I think, like I said, some of these songs were written. I think that song is really about. What inspired that song was Lennon getting shot and stuff. I was still pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just him, but it was a lot of people. It seemed like every person that preached about peace and love and stuff has been eliminated from this planet. And I think at that time, I can't remember everybody, but it was Lennon was one. I think Anwar Sadat at that time. There was a couple people, you know, mm-hmm. and that's basically what the song was about, you know. Oh, very cool. Very cool, uh, and Jeff. In this song, you kind of you kind of get to show off a little bit after the guitar solos with some killer killer drum fills. How much thought did you put into you know drum fills in general when you when you were you knew you were you, you, you had to come up with something good? I asked permission for them. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, to be honest with you, the cool thing about Oli that he doesn't think about it; he just does it. <laughs> and that's, the aftermath. That's <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, Bill, do you have anything to add about this song? Do you think you, you can remember? Or? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I really like uh, what we call one of uh, Bruce Franklin's nicknames, Bruce Barr. Okay. And, uh, you know, there are only a handful of records that people get into the Viber Bar in an old school way, maybe like a Hendrix or a Ulrich Roth, you know, and uh, that inspiration. Bruce took, would take that to higher levels, and uh, when you listen to a lot of the record, uh, there's great Viber Bar parts where he uses the tremolo arm on his Fender Strat that's overdubbed in there, and we used to use it live too. And I always loved the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's we call it the bar. Yeah, he had a he had a Strat just like on Scorpions in Trance album. Is that the one that has the white Stratocaster? Yeah. With a big giant bar on there, yeah, big old tremolo bar. Yeah, Bruce Bad would just like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to track three, "Victim of the Insane."
uh, Jeff, you were just saying how you, you're the one who brought this song to, to the band and uh, somehow uh, <laughs> transferred it to guitar. Um, yeah. What I like about this song is that you know it, there's a pounding intro at the beginning, and it makes you think that we're going to get a fast song, but then you just you guys just slow it down. You throw us a curveball. You just slow it down. <laughs> You know? yeah. <laughs> and I, th I, th I always thought that was great. Um, what I really love about the song too is that there's a creepy melody in the background. Yeah. That sounds like it's keyboards. Yeah, um, it's Korg, okay. Apollo 61. Okay, okay. And is that you playing that, Jeff? Yes. It's it's a try, it was an attempt at a Hammond sound for cheap, you know. And we could bring it live. We could even do some synth drones and things like that but it had some presets that sounded kind of kind of like a Hammond mm -hmm. you know without a Leslie mm -hmm. and so we were able to put a creepy uh, counter melody that when I played it on the piano I, that's my right hand the left hand is playing the power notes that you hear Okay. so I played that on a Yamaha piano when I wrote it so the power notes are left hand octaves and that creepy part is the right hand so when we made it into electronics and Marshalls and Eric and everybody together, it was cool to have um, both that keyboard and Rick did a lot of cool overdubs with it as well. Like uh, when we do the solo, um, I, I played that song in its entirety on uh, my sister's piano at home. And uh, even the lead I tried, but Rick made that lead his own. Mm -hmm. Um, again, we used that uh, the fake timpanis um, that we used in the beginning of the record. That uh, I used to drone the six string of the guitar, whether it be tuned to D or uh, E flat, on my back bass drums as timpani, okay. and that's what gives us that sort of a uh, I don't know orchestral edge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill, does, does it add a, a layer of, comp, of complexity when you have to factor in keyboards like that? I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Does it add a, a level of complexity to, to your work when you have to add keyboards to, uh, to, to the sound of a band that doesn't necessarily have them on all the songs? Uh, no, not at all. What, what I do remember is back then... Um, most bands that I worked with didn't use keyboards, you know, mm -hmm. so any anytime you did something unusual like that, it was always exciting to me, it, it, and it definitely added a lot to the song, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't a hassle whatsoever. You know, his, uh, his timpanis, those might have been a hassle, but the keyboards, no. <laughs> 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 now, Eric, the lyrics on this one talk about being pushed around and feeling betrayed. Was that from personal experience, or was this just a story you were telling us? Uh, I think, well, a lot of my songs do have personal experiences, and it, you know, growing up, I didn't really have the funnest time as a kid, but um, I think the title originally came, uh, I was talking about us for after listening to Oli's original version mm -hmm. of the song. This can be insane. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Definitely. <laughs> I think it was called Victims of the Insane at first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess we'll move on to uh, track four now. Uh, Revelation, Life or Death.
Uh, you guys did the opposite that you did from the previous song. You actually started slow, and then the song, you know, kind of kind of picks up and becomes kind of a, a rocking song. Um, what I really like about this song, towards the 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 last forty seconds of the of the song, the song kind of ends, and then you get this other fade in that comes in. It's it's like there's another song starting. And I'm like, all right, oh, this is great, this is great. And then it fades out again. So whose idea was that? Yeah, we were. I was living at, I was living at Bruce's house with him and his mom at that time. And a lot of times on Sundays, we would listen to Jesus Christ Superstar album. Okay. And, and that's where it's from, from that song even. Okay. And it just was kind of this idea, because it was heavy, you know. And and live now we actually extend that a little bit, and them them guys get to do a bunch of solos and shit like that. So. Oh, very cool. That, that's actually my favorite song of the record. Yeah, very cool. Because I was thinking, it's like, man, I'd like to hear that whole song, <laughs> but because it fades in, then it fades out, then it's gone. <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar, the one with Ian Gillen singing the, the lead part okay, on I, that. I'm gonna have to check it out. Um, what I Sounds noticed different uh, by them, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. noticed and uh on this song too and this may be a question for bill uh the vocals are clearly separated in each ear it's it's not like an overall sound like if you have headphones on you hear two voices uh why and it's, it's the only song you guys did this on why, why is that I don't know. I was, we were trying to get that Lennon effect on. You know, I was listening to a lot of Beatles and stuff at the time, and Bill would know how he did it. I, don't, I have no idea. I probably just said, oh, "I want a Lennon sound," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Was that so, like two takes or two two different takes or the same take, kind of one in the left and one in the right? Yeah, I think we just we just 
doubled the, the vocal and you put one left and put one right and it makes it sound a, a lot bigger than if uh, there's just one vocal on it. So. Okay, okay. It's a really cool effect. I mean, uh, it's totally different from all the other songs, which I thought was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he's like, uh, oh, that's yeah. Always, uh, yeah, fucking Wagner wants to sound like Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's always a challenge to, uh, you know, c- come up with uh, little ideas like that. But mm-hmm. it, it, most of the time, it, it's, it's usually always the bands that come to you and say, hey, you know, we, we want to do something a little different, make something sound a little different or weird. And then you just experiment. Sometimes it works. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, so now we'll go on to site two and technically track five. Uh, Bastards will pay. That's an all-time classic, man. <laughs> that was one that didn't get what we call chicken-picked, where okay. you sat on the couch and wrote it, or uh, it, it, it. We just were came up with it on you know on the power on the amps. Okay. But then we sat down and, and roughed it back in the chicken-pick stage, like let's do the, when they wrote their double leads. Mm-hmm. But that was basically just uh, jamming. Where uh, I just played that opening bucket to bucket to bucket to bucket and just played a double bass part, mm-hmm. and everyone just started playing, and before we knew it, we had a little, a little thing. And I think the reason it goes slow there is I just I was starting to peter out there and get tired, so I slowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do a mellow, let's do a slower part here. I'm tired. <laughs> 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 nice, nice. That 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 that, uh, that harmon that uh, solo you were just talking about the the harmony. Uh, do you remember how hard if did the guys did they take them take them a while to come up with that uh, that crazy harmonic solo because it's really uh, awesome. That- He, 
is into that kind of stuff, you know. I'm sure it took him a while to figure that one out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I think that he took that home like homework, structured it, brought it back, and they just, you know, blues boxed where they wanted to do the harmony at, and they it's almost a unison that's just a third apart or something, and they uh, just learned it together, and they still, that's how they warm up in the dressing room, they would play that, it was pretty cool. Oh, wow, that's cool. I was like hearing them playing, you know, uh, working on those riffs together. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. One thing I noticed too on this on this song, uh, Jeff and and Bill, uh, your the hi hats and the the cymbals are really pushed forward on this song. They're like <laughs> they're like in your face much more than all the the rest. Is there a reason for for that? <laughs> I think I think Oli was just hitting them hard. <laughs> <laughs> Overplaying and surviving. Yeah, because we were jabbing. <laughs> Well, this song also, uh, lyric-wise, has one of my all-time favorite lines where it says at the end, you fucking bastards are going to pay. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's actually something we quote once in a while on our show. Uh, yeah. when, when we get pissed off, we will actually Sweet. quote that. <laughs> so. I kind of still use that, too. It's, it's cool how, how um, like that line still pertains today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah well I mean I was re- reading the lyrics last night and it's a song about war basically right about finding a solution uh, yeah. to war and... yeah I was pissed off about something I can't remember exactly what was going on at that time um, it had to be probably what 82, 83 mm-hmm. around when I, wrote, when I wrote those lyrics so something was going Grenada. on Grenada uh-huh. <laughs> Grenada Grenada was it? I don't. I have no idea off the top of my head, but something was going on. It's actually a peace song. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actually, yes. When you read it, yeah, you can definitely tell. But the the the, the title doesn't show that really, really. So yeah, it's about taking advantage of us and using us for their own political bullshit. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so track six, the fall of Lucifer. What was the, uh, you know, the, the, the title says, you know, you're talking about the fall of Lucifer, but again, was that just a, a, a story you wanted to tell or, or was there a uh, different reason behind it? Well, actually I had a, it was like a, I want to say a comic book okay. type thing. And the title of it was the angel of light, which is what Lucifer means. Mm-hmm. So it's just a story on how the, I don't know where it is in the Bible or nothing, but there is a part in there when they talk about that. But um, that's where I got the idea. Um, like I said, Lucifer means the angel of light. So I, that's what the story's about, you know, okay. how that all went. I tried to do it. I don't know how good I how good I told the story or nothing, <laughs> but uh, 
that's what it's about. Okay, okay. Well, like once again, because uh, you know, this is the last time we had you on uh, about a year ago. You guys were you, you Eric in particular, were saying that yeah, you, you probably say uh, Satan and Lucifer just as much as all the other satanic bands out there. Pretty much. Yeah, you know? and that was a great example that I, I found that you, know, you actually you talking about Lucifer in in the song. So. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Uh, so track seven, End Time, the instrumental. work on the lyrics uh, by the way eric on, on that one thank you well that everybody helped me out on that one <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one so uh this one for for the for that time uh, you know back in the early 80s it, it was kind of a, a lot of unconventional riffs really um it's a very very cool performance from you jeff i mean you're, you're totally killing it on this one um <laughs> was it was it challenging to put together uh, the, the this instrumental Oh, it was fun, and uh, it was a typical, back to Ian Brown, a typical Ian Brown, he would never write a conventional four-bar phrase, 12-bar uh, phrase. He would write these parts, and then he was high, and it would space out maybe one of the connecting parts, so the phrase would be three, two, five, seven. <laughs> and we finally had to codify that because it'd be different every time we played it. Okay. So in construction of that song, once we got it to the chicken pick sitting on the couch, I think Bruce grabbed a hold of it for phrasing. And Bruce likes four, eight, twelve, you know, he mm -hmm. likes connection. So <clears throat> it became a lot of parts and we decided to keep it awkward. It made it fun, I think, and it also made the piece maybe progressive or interesting to keep. But the, but the, the your question at hand is true. It made it very hard to originally play that, and then after a while, it just came right out of your body. Like okay. he played it like it was not like not not weird at all. It was very, you know. You know, very easy to play. One thing I liked about it is, um, I liked doing a polyrhythm. Those guys are playing something kind of in three, and I'm playing kind of straight four at the end, okay. and not crashing cymbals, just trying to stay on the ride for a change. And I think that might have been the beginning, first time that I actually played like the band might would want me to play, <laughs> like <laughs> just straight, straight solid playing at the end of the song uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, uh, I, I like that song because that's when well, we used to play it live well actually the Skull's been doing it too but <laughs> that's, that's my time where I can go take a fifth and get another beer yep. that, that was going to be one of my questions what, what do you do during the song <laughs> that's what I did or it's recently the Skull which is really cool I, I kind of 
couple <laughs> times went out in the audience and I watched them play that song with them. Oh, very and cool. Truly amazing, like, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, Bill, was, was, there, was this one a particular challenge for you or was it like another day at the office? What the right No, there, there was nothing. The only thing about an instrumental is, yeah, you, you've, uh, without the vocals there, sometimes um, it is hard to keep people's attention, but, you know, the, the riffs speak for themselves. So, no, that was, it, it, it was a lot easier not having uh, vocals in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Didn't have to worry about uh, Eric in your ears. So, yeah. <laughs> I just could not figure out how to sing that song. <laughs> I am a, I'd like to sing in the pockets. I like the music to breathe. And that just didn't do it. And recently I was like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if I could finally write lyrics for that song and redo it and everything? And nah. <laughs> Too much work. <laughs> nah, no, it's not bad. I would love to. I, thought, I think it would be pretty cool after all these years, uh -huh. but there's just no place to sing it. And it's, it, it is what it is. It's the heavy. It's the, maybe the heaviest tune on the record. Maybe. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, so, so why did you decide to put it on on the the record? Is it because you were had, you know, lack of material, or just you you figured it fits there? We we need to have this it, song. There. It it fits there. Mm -hmm. It was part of that record. Okay. It wouldn't have fit on any other one. The skull. What it was. Skull was different. It went on that record. It fits. The title. At least I could come up with the title of the thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like it too at times you know yeah 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 it is it's a great track it's one of the say it's a great instrumental uh, alright so let's go to uh, track 8 uh, title track uh, Psalm 9 The Lord shall endure forever For he hath prepared his throne for judgment And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken those that seek thee. It's an all-time classic. Uh, it, it you know it chugs along kind of mid-tempo, and it's got all the classic signature stuff that you you hear from Trouble at the time, you know. Um, and I have to say, when someone asks me, "What I've never heard Trouble. What 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 does it sound like?" This is the song I, I would play them because uh, because cool. it represents everything, and it's perfect ending to the album. Uh, Jeff, do you have any uh, any recollection of anything cool? You know. Recording the song or when writing the song, is there anything that pops into your mind right now? That was extremely heavy when that riff came down. When we uh, and it utilized point. that six-string muted gunk, mm -hmm. uh, which there's that word gunk. That was another Bruce riff. Yep. Bruce thumping through a JMP 100 stack, you know, and 
DiMarzio super distortion, just the way he sets his pots uh, on his guitar. He this is a guitar player that doesn't just you know play with the uh, you know up in the bright position or in the bass position for a sound. He's all over it. He's you toggling and mm-hmm. and changing his tone precisely as he plays. When he gonks, he can get that into the bridge pickup and just. No one gonks like that, except later in the years you hear a lot of bands um, that were also really great with their own styles of gunk, like COC. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that anybody's copying each other. I hate that when people do that because uh, uh, everyone has their own unique way. They go to the guitar center or wherever they bought their, you know, they go to their music store and they buy their first Marshall stack. They come home, they now are going to have. Uh, that stack's going to teach them how to play, probably. Yeah. I mean, it happens when you get a really good instrument, but you're also getting into it. Something changes you. I remember Bruce went from a uh, this uh, old... Uh, it had an upholstery all over it. It was like a leather amp. Uh, <laughs> it was... Uh, remember that in Wisecrack? That, yeah, I, do. I remember. What was that called? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I don't Dark. remember. He went from that and got his first Marshall stack, a JMP one, uh, 100. That's right before the 80s, probably 79 or 78 even, and uh, that was it, man. Kung, 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 kung. Still to this day, you know, he dropped that his flying V's and has the uh, he likes that 62 SG single coil P90, but that makes the gunk he grabs whatever he can he knows his particular gunk different than anyone else Mm -hmm. and then eric's favorite uh uh piece of equipment is the clone theory yeah (laughs) (laughs) i can do a uh impression of it (laughs) yeah did you hear it (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) so yes um psalm nine that is a gunky yes trouble song Definitely. Wonderful, definitely. I absolutely love it. Um, now, Eric, uh, lyric-wise, uh, this song talks about how God, God loves everyone. Uh, why was it important for you to write these lyrics? Well, you know, actually, if you look on it right now, that that probably is the theme song to Trouble. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, when Bruce and I first joined, you know, Rick with the ad in the paper and everything, and the name was already there. Uh, but as we started writing our own songs and I started writing lyrics, the name, the the meaning to the name kind of put on, not put on then, mm-hmm. you know, or what it ended up being, just because of my influence lyric-wise. But um, so looking at it right now, that, like I said, that is probably the theme song to the band, period. Okay. It, it's who we are or was, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, explain the meaning of the song and and in a way what we were about at that particular time. Okay, okay. Now, uh, so that, that completes the uh, the whole album, but on the CD version that uh, Escapi Music put out, the reissue, there's an extra track, uh, Tales, Tales of Brave Ulysses by Cream. <laughs>
I was looking on Wikipedia and it said that it that was the the B side of Assassin, the single. Is yeah, that, is that true? Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. So why why was that not on the album when it came out? Well, I don't know. It's because it was on the single. Yeah, it made it different. You know. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> yeah, I still have mine. Yeah, like, I do. Big vinyl with you know just one song on either side. That was cool. Yeah, that was the single, and uh, the album was just the, the pure record, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, Eight songs. Eight songs, here it was, here you go, you know. You want to hear that Cream song, you'll have to buy the single. Yeah. <laughs> Good marketing. Or, or you can just go on YouTube and hear it. Well, yeah, now, now, yes, yes. Back in the day, I'm sure it was an excellent marketing tool. Uh, so so who, whose idea was it to cover that, that song in particular? Wow, we used uh, to cover a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who knows? So it's just one of those songs you guys played all the time. Oh, uh, we always used to change. You know, we would do. We were doing that song. We were doing House of the Rising Sun and uh, a Doors tune, a couple things. But that one just seemed to fit. You know, and I think the, our version is pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it is. It's heavy and. Sometimes, you know, we used to do it. Actually, the Skull has been playing it here and there, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fun tune. And that's one of those songs I can never remember the lyrics to, except for Tiny Purple Fishes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. Was that, was that, did, were you guys planning to do that in the studio? Or was that just an afterthought? Because we had more time I, on our hands. I don't remember. Track. I think that's what, I don't think we used went out to California to, that we were going to record that song. I think maybe the single, we needed another tune instead of using an album track. Let's do this or something. But I think you're right. That wasn't planned to do. So it's got that live feel to it, too, I think. Mm-hmm. That's one we did live at the time. It probably would have been a different song if we would have been uh, any month before that or after that or whatever, a different time. Okay. It was just in your repertoire at the time. Right. Okay, okay. Now, the, to, to wrap things up on this, uh, uh, this album is considered like one of the first Doom albums ever. You know, do you guys agree with that, or do you think there's there, were, there was other Doom before you guys? I disagree completely. Okay. Uh, uh, Black Sabbath, and before them, even like bands that were unknown were out there like there's thousands of bands probably <laughs> maybe not thousands but well, like you know coven and you know uh the coven was a little bit more 60s rock i guess but there there's bands that some of the oh, there's this one oh what's uh, there's this band that died in a bus accident off a mountain that was going to be super heavy too ah uh, that has like a couple records there's blood rock some of those maybe i guess are rock but they'll go into these spooky doom parts and even alice cooper's uh killer's record that's the doomiest of rock and roll mm-hmm. and then eric's got a great response because we didn't call things doom or whatever right you know, it became a genre but there was plenty I, but sabbath to me has to be the first yeah. okay. I, I, if you want to say something like that Maybe that album was one of the first Doom records of first generation Sabbath that we that people grew up listening to. That was our influence. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Okay. So maybe yeah, that was maybe the one of the first Doom albums after Sabbath. You know. So, 
but no, Sabbath are the are the guys, and the things that they were listening to, to to do them. I I don't know what they were listening to, but I know like one song the theme to Iron Butterfly. I mean, if that don't sound like Sabbath, then I don't know what does, you know. Yeah, that's way back, Iron Butterfly. And then bands that are in our own time period, like that were actually before us, were Doomy, and that's definitely Merciful Fate. How can we, like, there's some, they were way ahead of us, I think, but they were at least two or three years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pentagram. Pentagram, two years ahead of us. That freaked us out when we first, like, heard of Death Row and St. Vitus, that there were actually other bands that were doing what we were doing, you know? It was like the first couple bands that we actually heard. And and, uh, first time we went to Baltimore and stuff, when we were, like, freaking out that there was all these bands that were listening to that kind of music, you know? we we, It was unexpected, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and you know a lot of the the current doom bands and not not so current a lot of them cite that album as a huge influence you know and what comes to mind to me like a band like cathedral or candle mass uh, you often get peers you know when you're playing a festival or something or or you go to a show and the, one of your peers comes up and tells you hey man if it wasn't for psalm 9 i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing does it happen a lot yeah a lot all the time <laughs> right now, <laughs> does it is, is it embarrassing or do you love it? I mean, how does that make you feel when somebody comes up and tells you that? Um, <laughs> used to be a little bit. I think now it's uh, kind of flattering. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word either. It's uh, it's pretty cool, I guess, to be an influence on somebody, and you know. And the responsibility that carries, I guess, mm-hmm. or me personally, would more came to terms with that just recently and stuff than I did back then. You yeah. know, yeah. For me, what's weird is I am re-influenced by them. Like Cathedral, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Like the ethereal. Oh my, just uh, that's an un- talk about gunk. Oh yeah, definitely. Fucking unbelievably heavy. And um, this is something – somehow I've never got to meet Lee Dorian all these years. And uh, this is somebody I want to say thank you to. And I missed him on one of, the, one of our England shows for some reason. I went and uh, got a beer and he came in and I missed him. I have never gotten to meet him. I just want to say hi to that dude. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Hopefully he's been uh, he's listening to this. Um, and Lee, if you're listening to this, I want to talk to you too. Start getting old, I guess. <laughs> uh, so uh, there was never any official videos put out for this album, was there? Because MTV was just starting. Oh, don't tell them. Oh, was there? Tell well, them about that video, Eric. What? That one at the cable network they made Wayne's World out of. Oh God. Oh yeah. Well, we've actually <laughs> talked about that the last time I had you on. That's uh, you know that just recently came across my computer for some reason, and <laughs> I, I I watched it, and you know back then I was a little embarrassed by it because and, and us too because we were this heavy band, and here we are. That was our first experience on TV, and we're faking it. I don't think they're even the guitars are plugged in or nothing.
The same time that I discovered The Mighty Trouble back in 1984, I discovered the band Maniacs, M-A-I-N-E-E-X, their debut record, shouted out, and that was the track Rock City. And before that, we could really only go with one song representing the awesome Psalm 9 record that is Trouble and The Tempter. With those two songs, though, yeah, they came out different labels around the same time, but I discovered them both at the same time through the Banzai Axe compilation record. Up here in Canada, they, there was an independent label called Banzai all throughout the 80s. Oh, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, and they released... Of course, of course, yeah. But all you know, all throughout the '80s, bands I released uh, release albums from all over the world, all various different labels, and released them domestically in Canada. So we never ended up paying those high import prices. This is where I discovered Kill 'Em All the first time, Ride the Lightning, Venom, the first Anthrax record, the first Megadeth record, and it's just the list goes on and on and on. Bands I records was such a big part of the Canadian metal scene. And that's where I discovered both Trouble and Maniacs. Really, really great stuff. Once again, Rock, thank you so much for doing um, for doing that, that, that album autopsy series, giving us that, that awesome interview. And like I said, I hope this new generation of radioactive metal listeners enjoys it as well and gives you you know an idea of what we did back then because coming up you know october 15 years you know radioactive metal was one of the the original podcasts in general not just in music or anything because like i said when i first was asked, hey, you want to do a podcast? Well, what the hell is that? You know, I had no, I had no idea what it was. And now here we are 15 years later. And you still don't know. Still, <laughs> I, 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 I still don't know how to properly do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> but we're having a great time doing it. And one of those reasons was all the hard work that Mr. Rock did and put into the show. So once again, my friend, thank you so much it's not all doom and gloom this week though some pretty (laughs) some pretty interesting stuff that just kind of makes you smile makes you scratch your head makes you go what the fuck you know and of course the elephant in the room is the nirvana baby lawsuit dude that's that that, that's going on here when I sent that to you, like, I, I sent the, I sent that article to you, and it was part of um, guess the guess the fake headline. It's a game that this one email news thing I get every day um, does, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, guess the fake headline. And when I saw Nirvana baby sues Nirvana, I'm like, oh, that's absolutely the fake, you know. And then when I got to scroll down, I saw the answer. I'm like, oh shit. And I clicked on the link and I read it. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I, I, I don't even know where to start on this one. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. Sorry, I'm having technical difficulties here trying to pull the article up here, and it's being really slow. Well, of course, it, it has to be slow me. now. And one of the things okay, please. Is like, he says that he's suing for distribution of private sexually explicit materials, negligence, and what's described as sex trafficking. Um, he was forced to engage in commercial sex acts while under the age of 18. I'm like, whoa. Like, and this is the kid who has recreated this like on every anniversary of this record. It has. Like, yes. He, he recreates it. He goes to the same pool and everything. Like, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. You know, he has like, never mind tattooed across his chest, all this sort of stuff. That's um, another thing. Like, I, I don't understand what happened, you know? And I mean, also it's a baby. Right. You know? And how do we really know he was the baby? Because, as this goes, right, like so allegedly he did receive um, a, a platinum copy of Nevermind and a teddy bear from, mm. from Geffen Records. But the photographer was, a, um, was friends with his dad. And he's like, hey, um, you want to make 200 bucks and throw your kid in the drink? And so he's like, so we went down, we had a big pool party, and he was, he was shooting a bunch of kids that day, apparently. So how do we know that one that that's definitely the baby? Because, dude, I I could barely pick my own kids out of a lineup, and they are my kids, you know, like right at that age, same. yeah, yeah, you know? uh huh. So, yeah, like like I I don't know, man. Like, what are your thoughts on this? You know, because I mean, we're, we're both parents that had babies, you know, that probably have pictures of them naked, you know. Right, right, because that there it was definitely a different time back then, and we even even when we were even younger, it was it was even more of a different time. Okay, but times have kind of changed, and stuff like this is now being frowned upon, and all that. E even to the point, like I remember when that record came out, and it's a very innocent picture. Okay, yeah. but I even I have to say, like that kind of made me go. Like, ugh, it, did, it, it, it didn't prevent me from buying it, and I wasn't offended, and I didn't see it as pornography or anything like that. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's probably not the best thing to put on. But whatever, whatever. The picture itself is a very powerful image because it's the baby, young and impressionable, okay, under the water, and there's a dollar bill and this is this is where the artistic part comes in, because it's like it's 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 representing like humanity chasing the dollar. Well, yeah, it's it's a statement on commercialism. Right. Right. right and, which and, I totally got that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic. It's like, oh, fuck. You know, and the best part about that is Nirvana puts that out on a major label. It, it's like it was. The, yeah. It, it's like the middle finger to the, to the major label like uh, Rage did, you know. And you right. had all these punk bands that were well, not all these, but like, you know, a lot of the bands that gained their major fame in the 90s were absolutely like doing tongue in cheek things to the record label. And the record label was like, ah, fuck it. We're making money. Keep going. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah. yeah. But but, and, but that's the statement. Right. Because like, oh, mm -hmm. what are you doing with this money? You know, and I just like today, like the statement of that picture really makes sense and you know what you bring up a really good point so if that picture was in a gallery would we be talking about 
Oh, uh, probably not. About talking about this is 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 child pornography. Like if somebody Pro- that Pro- out, probably not. Know. Yeah. And I mean, so here's the really funny part about that is like, you know, when you and I grew up, everybody did naked baby pictures in the bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your parents would pull them out with, with whatever girlfriend, boyfriend came over to the house and to embarrass <laughs> the shit out of you. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. That's how, how this goes. You that's know? what like, moms did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that was the thing. Now, my grandmother, right now, my grandmother was depression era, right? She was, you know, born in the early 1900s. Lived through the Great Depression, that kind of shit. And um, she would not take naked baby in the bath photographs. She would fold a washcloth very nicely and put it across my lap, Tarzan loincloth style. Ah. So there are no naked pictures of me in the bath. Now, um, you know, like, because she was all about, like, you know, what's the word? Um, Modesty. There we go. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, be modest, that sort of stuff. But then my mom uh, was also teaching me at the same time to not be ashamed of my body, to which her and I joked that she may have taken a little too far. Because if you <laughs> knew me from like 86 or 88 through 2000, you saw me naked if we were close friends. Oh, okay. You know? Like if we were a pretty close friend, like whether or not you wanted to, like I would just, you know, <laughs> get get naked at random times. You know, like people come over and we'd be talking in my room and I would just take off my clothes and change. Like, I didn't give a fuck. Okay. You know, you know male or female, didn't matter. You know, as long as I knew you well enough. Like if, if we, you know, if, if we were, if you were a good friend, you were going to see me naked, you know, and, and not in a sexual way. It's just, you know. It's just what it is. Yeah. 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 I just like having my clothes off. You know, it's one of those things, <clears throat> you know. And so, like, it's, it's very interesting I don't know, to see this because like I don't think that we have any naked pictures of our kids, um, but that's also no, because of my grandmother, because because like like I would have done the same thing with the washcloth, you know like I mm-hmm. I didn't do that because I didn't want my kids later to be like oh god this picture is so embarrassing and that's what my my you know uh, grandmother did for me you know I mean like yeah they're baby pictures the baby pictures are always embarrassing but I mean like at least you're not naked. You know, but at the same time, like you're a naked baby, you know, and I mean, yeah, he's also a naked baby in the pool. So let's put this into context. Let's go back. It was it's somewhere between 88 and 92 um, that throwing your baby in the pool to teach you to swim was a thing. <laughs> Sink or swim. Yeah. yeah like, no, like legit. Do you remember this? Like, mm-hmm. like, like Yeah. There, it was a big thing between 88 and 92. Like, I'm just trying, trying to place it. But, like, all these people would just go take their babies and throw them in the pool. And that's how they learned how to swim. And because, like, I didn't learn to swim until oh, somewhere between, like, six and eight, I think. You know? And we had all these safety things. But they would just take the baby, throw it in there, and the baby would naturally start swimming. And the whole point was, oh, this is the baby's natural instincts. And at that era... He was probably naked because they didn't have swim diapers yet, to the best of my knowledge. Like I don't, uh, I don't feel like swim diapers. You know what? Let me Google that while we're talking. Like when when was <laughs> when were swim diapers a thing? Yeah, yeah, that's because if you're gonna take your little kid into the pool and they're not trained yet, like they don't want people, they don't want your kid soiling the water and all that, because that's a, that's a hell of a, yeah. Well, yeah. Like to you, you, you have to drain the pool. You got to disinfect it. You have to do everything there's, you know, and refill it. And it's just, that's just too much of a pain in the ass. Okay. You want to know when they were 
invented early 90s. Ah, okay. Around, so like, probably around when this picture was taken. That's even funnier. Uh, <laughs> even okay. but but yeah so i mean it's still like like when when they were throwing their babies in they would throw them all in naked because they didn't put them in with the diaper because that diaper would also like the diaper is designed to absorb liquid so it's basically like throwing your kid in with an anchor if you put him in with a regular diaper <laughs> yeah you know uh -huh. like you couldn't you couldn't do that like that's worse you know well, yeah so, for yeah. sure for sure and I'm also I'm also kind of of the opinion, okay, there is just times where it's just not nudity. You, okay, like when you see something in a movie or a picture or whatever, you see a woman breastfeeding in in public. And I've yeah. seen I've seen women breastfeeding on the bus and you catch a glimpse of her boob and all that. Okay. She's doing, she's feeding her child. Yeah. Instantly. That is not nudity. I'm you know so what glad I mean? you bring that one up because you know how many people get pissed off? They're like, oh, why is that woman, you know, feeding her child in public? Blah, blah, blah. But then if there's a woman with her tits out in a movie, they're like all about it. It's like, right. um, <laughs> you do know that these things have a purpose, right? Like, right, right. It's not for your sexual gratification. Yeah, it's, it's not just to create a heart on Right, like, right. like there is a like a nature purpose that keeps the cycle of life going. Like this is how this mm -hmm. shit works. And breastfeeding has so many great health benefits. You know, definitely, Def right. definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I'm always fascinated because I mean, like, if I see somebody breastfeeding in public, like, I, you know, I I do my best to to give their privacy, not gawk that sort of stuff. But I'm also not gonna right. be like, oh my goodness, put that away. I'm like, no, go you. Yeah, and, and we had whatever a friend, you do. <laughs> we had a friend who was really comfortable with it, and she would just, like, pop her boob out and attach the baby right in front of us all. I'm like, all right, if you you can handle it, I can handle it. You know, like, right. I'm not going to bat right. an eye. I'm not going to be that guy. Like, I'm like, nope. It, like, if you can handle it, I can handle it. Go. I can handle it. If you're that's comfortable, right. that's like, right. I'm not going to do anything to make you uncomfortable because that's bullshit, too. You know, like. And it's, and it's just not nudity. Yeah. It's, it's like, it, it's just life, you know, like. Like, like, okay. Let, let's 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 take this one step further. Did you ever have the friends in high school that would get like freaked out when their girlfriends had their period and just be like, "Ooh, it's gross," like that kind of shit? Uh, not that I ever had that discussion, but I know there are a lot of guys where that's that's an issue for them, and I'm like, yeah. "Dude, okay, that just means you're not having sex for five days." Like, yeah. Yeah, but, like, but even that's that, all it is. And, and they can't buy pads. They can't buy tampons. I'm like, oh, well, it's time to grow up. Yeah. I'm like, you know, so I... what? Like, I, I can't remember. <laughs> it, it, it was like somewhere I was traveling for work with somebody and somebody was flying in. They're like, and they're like, oh, goodness. Like, I need to get tampons. I'm like, what do you need? I'll pick them up. They're like, no, I'm not having you do that. Somebody's going to say something. I'm like, what? I'm married. I've done it before. Like, yeah. well, I, you know, I, I, because there's still that crazy stigma. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, mm -hmm. like you need them. Like, like I just, these, these stupid stigmas we have around stuff like this. Like, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, so, so that was an interesting tangent. We got, we went from babies to periods <laughs> to breastfeeding, you know? Uh, well, it's, it's all one, it's all part of the bigger picture yeah, with, enough, with yes, it. it is. But, but yeah, so like back to this thing, like, let, let's say you were the Nirvana baby. Okay. I, I feel like if you personally snowy were the Nirvana baby, 
Like the only thing that you'd say is like, oh, I wish it was fucking Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> you know, but it's still pretty cool right. that, I, that my dick's on a record. Like I, I could totally see see you know you having that conversation with somebody. Right, right, and I'm also Canadian, so we're not Sue happy up here. That wouldn't that wouldn't yeah, it's true. That's, you know, that's a really good point too. In in the U.S., it's like you you uh, look at someone the wrong way. Lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. I'm gonna sue you. I'm gonna sue you. Uh, <laughs> what's a lawsuit up in Canada? You know, that just didn't register. But what this might do, and you're the one that actually brought this up to me as we're discussing, you know, off off air and all that. What kind of future lawsuits? Like if 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 this guy actually and I'm I'm the I'm I'm smelling this this is a cash grab. He's probably hoping for he was probably hoping for a, a settlement out of court for a certain amount. Of money, yeah, yeah, because it's just this, just nothing adds up, and it just seems so friv- frivolous at this point. If it comes out in his favor, is this going to open the floodgates for future lawsuits and all that, where where stuff like this has happened? I'm thinking um, some of the Scorpions records from the past. Oh, the yeah. Virgin Killer record. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. You think the um, Siamese twins Exodus babies would fu- file a suit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're definitely subjected to exploitation. What, what yeah, are the yeah. Nirvana babies? Uh, the Nirvana babies. Fuck! I'm sorry. I meant the Van Halen oh. baby. Oh, oh, yeah, Cupid. Yeah, he's he was exploited as well, as well. Yeah, he's 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 a baby, and he was put on a record cover. So yeah, there's there's definitely a lawsuit there. And they also <laughs> caught him smoking illegally underage, and that's, that's right. You know, I, I feel like that's framing him there differently here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. It's I, definitely been very entertaining. I'm doing a quick. Um, album covers with babies Google search because all because once you said the Scorpions I started thinking I'm like oh do you remember mm-hmm. um, okay so what about Led Zeppelin's House of the Holy those are new yeah people. that actually came under fire as well are yeah, are there right? not yeah well not not to this extent and no no charges there's no lawsuits and all that but. You know, there has been some internet talk about that. Okay. About and I'm, I don't know if it's if it's happened yet, but there there was talk about that album. Any future re-releases, like since vinyl, you know, albums are being re-released on vinyl now all all the time. There's talk of the uh, of the 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 people being taken out of the picture. On any future releases of that. Gotcha. So yeah, that's that. I don't know what's going on with that, but yeah, yeah, that kind of came under. uh, There was some internet scuttlebutt for whatever that's worth about that. You know, it's funny though. It's like it's it's a bunch of naked kids crawling through these stones. But I mean, again, in the era that was taken, that was not a thing or a problem. Yeah, it, uh, not once, 
And I grew up looking at that record. Not once did I see nudity in that. Yeah. Because it was kids. It was, yeah. And it felt like a National Geographic cover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so let's let's take that into occurrence. How many breasts have you seen in an issue of National Geographic (laughs) over the years? Mom and Dad had a subscription when I was a kid. And I, I would through them trying to find you know whatever else about animals and just whatever everything that yeah. national geographic comes. but i mean like, but then yeah. i find okay. those pictures and i yeah, find those every pictures now and then and, yeah you know and and it would be not just like you know the tribal women to be the tribal men it'd be the tribal mm-hmm. children you know because yeah. that's how those people live all the time so, right. you know, so, so now if, if the Nirvana baby is filing a suit, you know, are these tribal men and women going to file a suit? <laughs> going to sue National Geographic? Yeah. Now. Like, 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 <laughs> yeah. like, where's, where's this go, you know? And then mm. um, what about the twins from the Siamese Dream album, Smashing Pumpkins? Okay, but that really wasn't anything graphic, but they could still, yeah, well, we're, we were being exploited against yeah. our, you know, Ooh. against our will and all that. Well, and this is a, a case that the, the internet has kind of brought up that, well, this guy has to take it up with his parents and well, not yeah, the bank. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. The, I'm like, yeah, they were paid for it. So, yeah, like I, and, and suing the band, like, I, I mean, I'm sure the band wanted a photograph like that, but it's not like the band was going out and doing creepy things to get it. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, the whole thing is just so weird. But um, I just came across the album cover to the first Corn record with a little girl on the swing. <laughs> that's right, yeah. You know? And I mean, like, yeah. that's, that's, you know, is, is is that glorifying child abduction? Because on the back, it, the swing is empty. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, and... Yeah, that could be exploitation. Yeah. Yeah, oh so goodness. that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> it, it, it's and, so weird. And you know what's funny? Really? Is, as I scroll through this Babies for Album Cover Google search, you know how many times that kid comes up recreating it in different outfits? I'm like... Uh-huh. Yeah. And it just makes me wonder, like, how... Okay, because he's, he's claiming there's psychological damages or something that he's 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 scarred for life now in all of this because of this picture that he has absolutely no no remembrance of and he was told that was him and like now all of a sudden at 30 years old you know he's after after embracing it he embraced it his whole life. He's got the fucking tattoo on it. And he's just, it's the best thing that ever happened to him. But now, I this whole thing reeks of some lawyer was going through his kid's record collection and found this and got a hold of the guy and said, hey, you know what? We may have something here. Let's see if we can get a settlement out of this. Oh, okay, sounds good. It, it's just so, I don't know. Like, I I mean, I like, so one, we all know the kids are cruel. So, you know, that when he hit middle school, that um, everybody's like, hey, look at your dick on this album cover. I bet it's no bigger yet, is it? You know, right. Um, you, you know, he suffered through that for a few years. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same point, the kids saying that, 
Like the easiest thing would be like, yeah, I am naked on the cover of one of the biggest fucking records of all time. What have you done? Of all time. Yeah. Like, like for like, sure. Like you can't, <laughs> no matter how you feel about Nirvana, you cannot take away that that is one of the biggest records of all time. Like 30 I mean, million copies. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that's up there with the black album and thriller. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's, yeah. if, if somebody just said name some iconic albums, like, you know, from like, even if you just narrowed it and said name iconic al albums of the 90s, that's probably gonna be the first one you say. It jumps up. Yeah. But if you say iconic albums of like the last 50 years, it's still going to be in the list. It's an Top iconic 10. record. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. an iconic record, you know? And I mean, <clears throat> like, so not only was that on album covers, like a friend of mine had that album cover on a t-shirt, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, like, like that naked baby has been everywhere. Like everywhere. Oh, no. Everywhere. Yeah, for I sure. And now it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, America, the land of frivolous lawsuits. <sighs> <laughs> all that well let's get sort of kind of into some tunes that are somewhat ballpark you know with with great records like that new spit boy i've been spinning that great stuff reminded me of the great seattle punk grunge whatever you want to call them seven year bitch let's pull out that the Sikkim album from the Snowy's Vault. This is Dead Men Don't Rape.
Okay, check this out. Okay, we had to drop a track from Burning Witch. Okay, their Crippled Lucifer record that was History of Hell. Okay, Burning Witch, as you heard, is a doom band from Seattle. <laughs> okay, <laughs> with, with everything going on. This episode had to play that. <laughs> great stuff. Great stuff. Great stuff. And it's been, speaking of great stuff, it's been a couple episodes now where we haven't had a chance for our indie spotlight. But hey, no better time than the present. We're always on the lookout for fresh new talent. Check out this indie spotlight. We're going to make our way to the wonderful world of Finland here. Really cool stuff. Now, immediately when you think Finland, brutal death, satanic black metal, you know, it's just that that part of the world but you know when it comes to the hard music finland can be quite diverse including the punk and rock the the punk and rollers shall we say that's kind of a really cool way to refer to this sub the punk and rollers yeah <laughs> i thought that's really cool because it's a rock band heavily influenced by the whole punk thing well, or I they were like or, literally rolling you know, a pumpkin Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, like the pumpkin rollers. Uh, like. That's de- <laughs> hey, okay, that's a great name for uh, a for a psycho Billy band. I, I was just thinking, pumpkin I still rollers. need to name my psycho Billy project. I'm like, oh, the pumpkin rollers. Okay. That's not bad. You better write that down. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't use graveyard shifters because that's being used right now. That is the band. When um, the records Head Turns First, Eyes Follow came across my desk, gave it a spin. Hey, this is uh, this is some pretty cool stuff. So without further ado, we're going to do our rock and roll duty here and introduce our listeners to Finland's Graveyard Shifters with Fake It Till You Make It. <laughs> Tell me just to 
Facebook.com slash Graveyard Shifters and GraveyardShifters.BandCamp.com. Maybe next Bandcamp day that would be the uh, time to uh, go and grab that record and then whatever else. Graveyard Shifters and the like, shall we say, their ilk. Okay, um, see what they have to offer, which all this kind of reminds me. Okay, before we get on out of here, October is going to be upon us soon. Like I said, first trip to Spirit, sun kind of getting Halloween y already. We got to start uh, thinking what we want to do for uh, the month of October on this show. We've always got a lot of great ideas. I do my, my 30. Uh, 30 horror movies of October challenge. Well, it's so I'm already looking look forward to that. You bring that up. Cause I was actually making a list of movies already. Ah. I was thinking that maybe we should, and this would be a reason for us to use Twitter, but like maybe we should start calling out on our social media, like every day, like, like a pick or a movie of some sort. Like I, I feel like we could easily get 31 um, I don't know if I personally could do 31, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, but, but, um, and it's, it's funny. Cause like, I've been thinking about the same thing. Cause there's, there's a, a few different people I would love to interview that would, they're outside the metal world, but it ties into the Halloween and metal world indirectly. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah. So like, I've been thinking of those, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can get them, but. Yeah, I um yeah, so yes, yes, we we definitely we should we should start having this conversation regularly on our little group me chat. Sounds good, sounds good because like I said, I'm definitely looking forward to it and as well September is upon us as we mentioned, it's back to school time. So to get us on out of here, I once again went down into the snowy vaults and found New York hardcore legends war zone. Their Open Your Eyes album. And let's go with the track Back to School again. How can uh, people get a hold of us? Well, dear snowman, radioactivemetal.org. Head out there. That's where all the episodes, past and present, are. Well, most of the episodes. You can even hear the album Autopsies that were mentioned in this particular episode. And hear mm -hmm. them with a slightly spooky. Um, so go there and then at red metal six, six, six for Twitter and Instagram. We are very active on the Insta pages because we love posting pictures of things. Twitter, not so much like maybe, you know, Halloween be a good time for us to just tweet a little text every day. Cause that'd be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if we can get that rolling. Rad metal. Um, no saying fuck facebook.com slash rad metal. Um, you can hit us up there on the Facebook and that's where snowy posts some very amusing things as well. Uh, radio, no shit. Radmetal six 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 at Gmail. Shit, dude. Gmail dot com. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I'm having a rough day today here. Apparently, at uh, Gmail dot com, you can drop us a line there. Um, shinywizardsnetwork dot com. So thanks to the Shiny Wizards Network, not only can you find us on the places like um, iTunes and Stitcher yeah. and all these other places, we keep finding ourselves that we didn't know we were. Um, thanks to the great folks at Shiny Wizards, we are also on Spotify, so you can get to us on Spotify. So really, 
anywhere you can listen to a podcast, you're probably going to find us. And we would ask that you would leave us a review because, you know, reviews mean other people will find us. So find mm-hmm. us, share us, spread us around the internet like a virus. <laughs> you know? That's right. It's, yes, the good virus. Yes, yes. The good, the good, the good virus, virus, yes. So, you know what? <laughs> what is a good virus? I feel, I feel like there is, like, a good virus or there's... A good, like, a good like virus? Good germs, you know? It's, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, there's a really wicked British band in the uh, in the mid-'80s called Virus. We played them on the show. Awesome. I would love to have them on someday. Fantastic stuff. Spreading the good virus. Yeah, there, there has to be one that's, like not life-threatening that people are okay with but you know so anyway um i did i hit them i feel like i hit them all like i'm struggling pretty much yeah Uh, yeah shiningwizardsnetwork.com that's definitely your one-stop shop for all of your podcasting needs yeah we're on there the shining wizards themselves predominantly pro wrestling network but there's all sorts of cool stuff pop culture you name it your one-stop shop including and i'm about to step out right now as we speak to go and record our brother program wrestling night in canada always a good time if you're into the wonderful world of pro wrestling in the meantime and in between time that's it this has been a Trouble Baby episode of Radioactive Metal. I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron. Signing off.
Now I know I can do it.